He is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and Jesus Christ is not going to belong anyway. The water seals it. The food feeds it. This is Christianity. You found this mad Christian Saturday morning chill. Stick around. Hey, Internet. He is risen indeed. That's Jesus Christ, the man who is God, who we tried to kill him because we don't like God, because we're evil by nature, but he didn't stay dead. And both on the front and on the backside of this miraculous event that changed all of human history. So you, you really can't ignore it, even if you don't believe it. He also declared that he was doing this because contrary to what it appears in our chosen wicked condition, the fall, the breaking of the world, everyone dying, God actually loves us. And he's doing all this to us because we're evil, but he loves us and does not want to leave us that way. Uh, and so Christ has come, the fulfillment of prophecy, age old and beyond memory, almost, except for the book of Genesis, uh, to fulfill all of that and be God's answer to our original problem, which again is our sinful condition, which again is the curved inward dilemma of your soul, which is some combination of your heart and your mind in some way. Yeah, But Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. What that means is that God is for you, not against you. What that means is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in his kingdom. You are paid for. And this makes you immortal now. So even the death which you see and feel all around you, it cannot contain you any more than it contained him. You say, how? Because that's his promise. That's how. And that's it. And that's Christianity. To believe this is to be a new man, a new person, alive, regenerate, different, simply to know that he is risen and you are therefore paid for, made to be immortal now, period, rest of eternity, hello, we're not waiting for heaven. We have the Holy Spirit poured into our hearts right now to be able to say he is risen. Can you say Jesus is risen? Can you say it where you are? I mean, do you, can you say it out loud? Can you hear it? Because if you can and you hear it and you're like, and I believe it, well, guess what? You have the Holy Spirit of divine God, one of the three persons of the Trinity dwelling inside of you. What could actually go wrong? Like, really? No matter what happens, what could actually go wrong? The only thing that goes wrong is he leaves. And again, the promise is that he's not going to. And that's what you believe when you believe that he has risen, you are paid for, you are immortal now. Uh, and that he's not going to be long anyway. That this veil of tears is going to be rolled up like a scroll pretty soon. I mean, can't you tell the madness going on? Ha! Madness everywhere. But which, I'm so tired of talking about it, actually. Last week when I said, are you guys tired of the mad world? I was like, you know what? I am. I am. I'd rather talk about something that makes sense. I'd rather talk about something that's clean and clear. I would rather dwell upon the word of God that never changes than continually chase after the pagan nonsense trying to pin the tail on the whatever. Yeah, pin the tail on the legalism is what it is. Pin the tail on the harlot, perhaps. Well, here's a thought that's been in my head for a little bit. I, I ran into someone recently who asked me a question I couldn't answer at all because I'd never heard it. And it was such a good question that I was like, I, I can't even really begin to, to think about this yet. I need like weeks to ponder what you just asked me. And, and it was this. And it's a very, let's just say, missionary Baptist approach to ecclesiology. I, I, think, I think that would be right. And, and it's this idea. That the Roman Catholic Church, visibly as you see it on the earth ever, uh, is uh, the harlot of the book of Revelation. In this way, the Antichrist or the seat of the Antichrist or connected to the beast of Rome, right? Uh, okay, so the suggestion was that because Lutherans have never repented of being Roman Catholic and because of some things that look Roman Catholic— Therefore, Lutheranism is still following the harlot. And how would you answer that question, Pastor Fisk? And I was like, man, that is, that's just like one of the most interesting things I've ever heard in my life. And, and 
without answering it all right here for you. In fact, I'm, I'm very interested if someone out there, uh, especially any of you in the Mad Christian Discord on Us the Chill that, that are vested in these kind of discoveries, I, what I really want is a clear presentation of the actual theology that the missionary Baptists would teach about what the harlot is before I can even respond to it, right? I, mean, I can teach about the harlot. I can move through the book of Revelation. I can show how the entire thing is a symbolic typology that has refraction throughout history. So it happens in your day. It happens in your week. It happens in your life. It happens in everybody's generation. It happens in the entire universe. And pinning the tail on where it's happening in the universe right now is not what it's about. It's about pinning the tail on where the demons are in your life, your personal one, where your body is, and then repenting of that idolatry, knowing that, again, Christ is risen and you have the sword of righteousness, his word in your hand to fight back. Like that, that's really what the book's about, right? It's not about what our church bodies are doing. But in any case, I really would like to know more about that position because I think it is a neat historical nugget. I think it places Lutheranism in a broader lens, which I would like to look at because Lutheranism basically tries to look at itself through its own microscope. And so it just gets smaller and smaller and no one understands what we're doing. And so I want to I know what we look like, right, from these other points of view. Um, so anyway, uh, without going off on that track, what that question then spawned for me personally over the next week and a half or so, two weeks, uh, it, it was just this idea that the harlot of Revelation is someone you should, in fact, beware that is a point the book makes, that there is the harlot who is going to be burned forever and in eternity. May we praise hallelujahs as we see the fire go up, which the text says, <laughs> uh, and that this harlot is here now and you do well to beware her. Now, I had a number of strange experiences, uh, you know, those kind of things that, you know, some people call them God moments. I don't really like to talk that way. Coincidences, movements of wind and time and fate that brought this question back into my head repeatedly. And honestly, the, the most fascinating one of all, I, I, cannot, I cannot express it, is that I was driving on uh, through one of the worst parts of my town. Rockford's my town, and it's got some rough parts. I think Rockford's a gem. If you actually care about sustainability, longevity, and building family structures, villages, networks of people who support each other, there's a lot of reasons why Rockford's so broken that it's actually great, right? But driving through portions of it, I mean, you're not going to get shot unless God wants you to, but some people do sometimes get shot on those streets, usually at 2 a.m. at night, that kind of thing. Anyway, it's on one of those streets. And I was all alone. Usually the street's pretty busy, busy, but it was just me. And then this Harley, you know, I don't know, a hundred feet behind me. And I'm watching this Harley come up to me and I'm like, you know, wait a minute here. This person's sitting like a man, strong and mighty like a man, but this person's not a man. This person's a woman. This is a large, this is a large woman. She's, she is girthy. She is, she is girthy and she's dressed like the kind of woman you would expect to not be girthy so much, but then be in, say, a Sons of Anarchy show about what kind of girls hang out with motorcycle gangs. So she's dressed like that. But, I mean, there is a lot of this woman, and, and she pulls up right next to me, and I'm listening to music, and, and I can kind of see this is here, and, and I'm really, like, this is just throwing me off. I wasn't ready for this one in my day, and I do look. I turn and I look. You know what I see? A pentagram. I see a pentagram in the, the tramp stamp place. You know what I'm talking about? And immediately in my head, beware the harlot. And it hit me. Here's what hit me. Here's what hit me. It's not about your lust. It's not about uh, your, your, even your greed in a sense. It can be those things. But what it is about ultimately is the devil pulling the fleece over the eyes of everybody around. And in an age where, again, uh, the, the witch shows up as a man, but she's a girl 
also trying to be lustful all at once, to me, that's a nice type. That's my symbol of the entire thing. I don't know. The lady might even just be a repentant Christian who has the tattoo on her, on her back. I got no idea about that. What I'm talking about is the symbolism of the whole thing. And then recognizing that it isn't about being afraid of someone on a motorcycle pulling up next to you with a tattoo that happens to represent the devil. Hey, but whatever. That, that, those are shadows of things. What it's about is where in your life you have things that are stealing from you the word of God and you ignore it. That's what it's about. Beware the harlot. And so for me at that moment, I mean, it, that said that to me. Maybe it didn't say it to you. It said it to me. And it said it to me for all of Rockford. It's like, look, look who's here in Rockford right now, Jonathan. Look who's here. Her and you. Who's here on this dirty street? Her and you. What do you have in your hand? A crucifix? Because I'm a son of Solomon? Because I pray the Psalms? Because I read the Proverbs? Because I carry a crucifix and a Bible and a prayer book? And I have my crucifix right there on the other side of the pentagram, the mark of the devil, on this person. And I thought, why am I here? And I thought to be a witness of Jesus Christ. To her? Not necessarily, but Jonathan, buck up, man. Don't be afraid of this street. Don't be afraid of this city because you're here to be a light and salt on this place and in this place over and against. What's the other message being sent right now? That's the other message being sent. It's you and her. Now, is this about Jonathan? No, this is about Christianity. Hello. Hello. You think if I just start talking, that's enough? You think if I just start removing idols from my life, that's enough? Don't we all have to repent? Has not 2020 opened our eyes? It's not all the same for all of us. Not everyone worships the same idols. Not everyone worships the same gods. But again, beware of the harlot. Beware the harlot. Think about it in these terms here. This, co- this connects to a Brief History Power stuff. So if you haven't listened recently to A Brief History Power Two White Guys, that's Dr. Coons from Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and, uh, and myself talking about all sorts of things, you know, trying to put contemporary society in a framework for understanding how societal collapse is normal and how you can kind of read the patterns of up and down in economy, figure out where you are in the class status stratostructure and try to reposition yourself to be better off when things happen. Um, that's actually what the show's largely about as Christians believing God even knows about this and is even doing it and has even told us kind of how to live in the midst of such things. So we got a question about that later this morning. Um, but this topic can connects to what we've been talking about recently on the show, which is uh, uh, education uh, or, or brainwashing or programming or raising your kids or uh, uh, cropping out, uh, uh, group cropping children. The idea is that humans are born not developed. More than not, but they're they're not, and so they grow, and as they grow, they need to learn. And how is that best done, especially if you're a Christian? So, Lest anyone accuse myself or Dr. Koontz, uh, particularly Dr. Koontz, of not knowing what he's talking about. We have six part episodes, six hours, six hours on education and the history of education in America, going all the way back to the first things that ever happened and tracking it up to the very moment we are at right now. And let me just say then from all of those six hours, what am I thinking about? Here's what I'm thinking about, that it's foolish to let evil men program your children. That's what I think. Six hours with Dr. Koontz on education. It's history is a brief history history of power in America. What is it? What does it all mean? Summer, you want it? It is foolish to let evil men program your children. Where are you doing this? Anywhere you let evil men program your children. Where are you doing this? Anywhere Christians are not the ones talking to your children. That's a lot of places. That's a lot of places. I mean, think about it this way. Good things in the hands of wicked men are not good things. So let's just talk about this little beastie thing right here, a nightmare machine. Uh, it, what is this? Is this an idol? Is this technology? Is it science? Is it a piece of metal? Uh, what is this thing? Well, it kind of depends on who you are and what you're doing with it. You put it on a wall and you bow down to it every night and constantly look at it and say to it, I am God, I am God. Well, I think it's an idol. 
I mean, is it not? It's, it's an idol. It doesn't look like a statue until you make the face show up, but it's an idol. Does that mean it's always an idol in every place? No, because not all of creation is bad. Rather, all of creation is good, except for man. Well, the demons. Man, being demon-like in his heart, then takes these good things, whatever they might be, and he turns them into gods. And he doesn't even tell himself he's doing that. He just, he just worships them without realizing it. So again, let me suggest to you that the secular age and the rationalistic thinking that is made, even talk about demons, absent from many, many Christian communities, is such that it's also made idolatry something we're not even aware that we're doing. And that 2020 has been a time where God has pricked us all with the venomous tongue of the serpent that we might repent. So we might see where the idols are that we've been putting our hopes and our dreams and our life into and go back into, well, not what wicked men would do with these wicked things, but what we would do as Christians with these good things. Yeah? Which means then, again, what's the biggest and most important good thing God has given you? Is it your iPad? Is it your house? Is it, is it your car? No, it's your children. Do you have any? Do you want some? You should. It's your children. It's your children. So good things like your children in the hands of wicked men, what are they going to be? Those who worship idols become like them. The text is very, very clear. Here's one way that it always works out. You want the like, this is same topic, different topic at the same time. You want the clear break all. Is it Christianity? Is it not? Is it true? Is it not? The devil's only lie, only lie that he just kind of, again, tries to fractal, but really just kind of repeats blunderbuss style. His only lie is obedience thinking. His only eye is legalism. This is not to say that when you are a regenerate Christian, you don't know that there is good and evil and you'd rather do good. And anyone who would say such a thing from what I just said is an ignorant fool who isn't listening. But the fact of the matter is that the devil's one lie is obedience thinking, legalism, justification by works. You do it yourself or at the very least God helps, but it's up to you in the end because after all, God wouldn't save you unless you That's the devil's obedience thinking lie. And the more you can figure out where that is, the more you'll be able to, well, resist the devil in order that he flee from you by speaking against the devil's lie of how you better or else the truth that God has done it. So therefore, which is a very, very wonderful and confidence building thing. Mm-hmm. But again, now, where is this obedience thinking somewhere? I think you should watch carefully. It's in, again, six hours, brief history of power, brief history of power with Dr. Kuntz, uh, the track of the American school. When they school your kids, you know what they school them in? They school them in, just do it. Just put your head down and do it. That's what they learn. That's what they learn. The devil's one lie, obedience thinking. Here's another thing that comes along with those who have obedience thinking. I've been calling them sleepwalkers recently. Uh, they're alive. He's not aware that they're alive in every way. And what's, what's one common trait of the sleepwalker? The sleepwalker pays too much attention to what goes into his mouth and not enough attention to what comes out of your mouth. I had a conversation recently with a, uh, a friend and most of the conversation for the first 15 minutes was about food. I thought it was interesting. I listened. I, I really didn't say much. I, I just, it wasn't 15 minutes, five. Uh, it, it was about food. It was about what was eaten here, and we went here, and we ate this, and we ate that. I thought, that's really interesting. Uh, and, and again, pondering later, I mean, how much time and thought we give to what goes into our mouths. Now, is, does this mean you should just eat whatever? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But if you're paying more attention to what's going into your mouth every night than the words of Jesus coming out of your mouth at that same table every night, let me suggest the car's before the horse. Yeah, And in that way, you might just be sleepwalking. 
and sleepwalking, well, wake up. <laughs> yeah, hear the, hear the gospel. He is risen. And again, obedience thinking, it's not about you must do this or else. It's he is risen. You are paid for it. You're immortal now. He's not going to be long anyway. That definitely changes your perspective on things. When you know it's all going to burn anyway, when you make a practice of looking at the sky and waiting for Christ's return and maybe hoping it could be today, initially you're going to be like, oh, but I want to do this. Eventually you're going to be like, yeah, I really wish he would. Once you start doing that, once you live under the grace of knowing that this isn't going to end, this is only the, the kind of rooty, uh, crystallized and thorny beginning of forever, you can begin to stand against obedience thinking. You can begin to stand simply knowing that Christ is risen. From there, the world opens up. Uh, what I'm suggesting, though, again, is that you want to give this to your children, that you want to make sure that what your children are getting in their life is not more obedience thinking, not more do this or else, but more we are this people because. And standing on what Christianity says about that is what will survive the fires, both typologically present. Are you in America? Do you think it's going to burn if you watch Canada? Right. And eternally at the end of time, judgment day, all the books are open. Everything you ever did said, you, you ready for that? Okay. Like all of that taking care of in the confidence that this is the thorny beginning that even on that day, when your sin is exposed and being ripped from you in the blood and wounds of Jesus before your eyes, as you burst forth a light and, and, and all this, you're going to love it. Repentance is joy. It really is. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. <laughs> But it really is. Huh? And that's only going to get better and better. And that's why, again, so don't take me wrong on this one here. I am not recanting the Lutheran Reformation in any way or shape or form by this. I'm just pointing out that maybe we argue about the wrong things too long sometimes. Okay? So if you're in an argument about whether it's by faith or works, um, so long that you forget that it's about Jesus, like the whole argument about is justification by faith, not by works, isn't because there are no works. And it isn't because faith is even necessarily like gooder-er. And it's certainly not because it's some sort of gooder-er work. It's because faith is the way in which grace is preserved. And grace is the way in which it's sure that it's Jesus and not you. <laughs> it's really quite simple. Yeah. And so if you're in an argument about how this or how that, and Jesus isn't actually the answer, and it's some other thing that if we don't save this, we're all going to die. There, there are points in history where that's true. But once that battle's over, and let me suggest to you right now that the big battle people are worried about in their hearts, minds, and souls is not whether they're saved by grace or by works. And if that's all you ever talk about, well, then you're, no one's going to know that you actually think people are saved by Jesus. You fall? Yeah? I mean, I, call me call me crazy because that's why I'm here. Uh, how's this one? The, left turn. Ready? Left turn. The television informs the human heart along unrealistic and perfectionistic expectations. I mean, kind of left turn. We're into idolatry here. Uh, unrealistic, perfectionistic expectations. Digital dreaming produces expectations that cannot come true. Now, I think reading does this too, but not nearly as powerfully as, as watching things do. So here's, here's, here's how this works. Whatever you watch, good, bad, doesn't matter what you're watching, okay? The body experience that happens is this. You must suspend belief in, in reality. Belief in reality goes away. All reality just drips away behind this little box that you just kind of foof. Eventually you're like living inside this little box in your mind, right? And you're, 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 you're what the Gnostics think we are. <laughs> you're bodiless and you're somewhere else uh, in a memory that's not yours. You know, you're in Dumbledore's pensive. Nah? Only it's not Dumbledore, right? It's, it's, it's 
overall, it's the zeitgeist. So it's overall, it's the devil. Yeah. Uh, it's overall, it's God. But, you know, it's, he's got some warnings about things. Anyway, uh, so the point being that when you've suspended a belief and entered these other memories, whether they're good or bad does not matter. They are not real memories, and they do not present to you a true-to-life experience of yourself. And so when you come out of it, your expectations about that kind of thing will be not real. They will be fantasies. They will be made up. And the more you build your life about upon that, the more fragile your life's going to get. So the further out you get to where someone just says something that's wrong, you suddenly no longer can live. Oh, I got to scream because transgender, blah, blah, blah. I got to yell about it or whatever, right? Rather than just be like, okay, I disagree. I'm going to go home, live my own life, you know, maybe build a wall. <laughs> but, but you're, you know, you're not going to rage, quit everything. The reason for that is uh, the expectations have been framed by a box that is so not real over time, right? This compounds and builds. Every time you're inside the matrix, you forget what it's like to be outside the matrix and you just come out, you bring with you the ghosts of all of these expectations you've built. This has everything to do with how beautiful you think people are. And I'm telling you, once you turn it off for a year and a half, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at how much your view of humans change. You'll you'll be amazed. Everything to to that, to how you think about God. Or again, I would suggest the reason right now, while we don't think about the light war, excuse me, the light darkness war, that is going on, not against flesh or blood, but against principalities and powers of the present darkness, in which we Christians are to be engaged with our prayers as a certain reality and attack against uh, the weapons of their warfare, the, the, the legion of darkness and their works of darkness, uh, to, to, um, to stand up in that, right? Uh, I, I think that the reason why that isn't even like part of most Christians' thought process is because the world that they live in doesn't have it in, in there. That world doesn't exist. It's not part of real. Uh, someone else told a friend of mine uh, has, several times, um, you, know, you don't live in the real world. You don't live in the real world. I live in the real world. And it's really interesting to like track that thought over time and see what real is. And real is whatever the TV said. It really is what, what the person means when they say that. Whatever the TV said. Now, whatever the computer, and by TV, I mean telos vision, not just television. Uh, by, by telos vision, I mean the end of all seeing uh, that's what the word means in, in Greek and Latin, I think. Uh, the end of all seeing. And, and once you have chosen your, your method of piping the telos vision into your, your heart and your soul, like it doesn't matter whether it's on an iPad or on a wall. Uh, the point is you're going to this thing with infallibility. You're going to this thing like it's a God. You're going to this thing as your God. And if you're not a Christian, that's, oh, this is so important. If you're not a Christian, what I just said is true no matter what. You, you got that, my Christians out there, mad Christians, you got that? If you're not a Christian, this is an idol no matter what. Like, you can't have it not be. People are walking around with their gods. They're holding them, okay? The only way that it's not an idol is you're a Christian. You're like, I hate this thing because it tries to steal Jesus from me, but I can use it to share Jesus with others. Now, it's not an idol, right? Now, it's in a different place. Now, it's part of the fallen creation. It's a tool. It's a tool. But if you're not a Christian, you cannot truly do that. Even if you're like, well, I can intellectually do it. I'm sorry. Holy Spirit of God says you can't. Because the only way you protect yourself from true idolatry is by God forgiving your hidden idolatry. Because we all got it. Now, so when I talk about repenting of idols, I'm pretty confident I've got others I still don't even know about. And maybe in my 60s or 70s, I'll get to repent of those. Yeah? It's, it's the way that it works. And regeneration is a thing that happens and rehappens. His mercies are new every morning. That we might not forget. That we might not forget. Digital dreaming brings about dreams that cannot come true and maybe sometimes you don't even want to which is why it's so freeing uh, to take a step away to actually have you detethered ever for a day a weekend i mean it's so valuable give it a try sometime just a couple hours 
Uh, but uh, okay. So last thing, I want to give um, credit where credit is due, uh, and that is that uh, last Mad Mondays I wrote a poetry piece that was partially a response, not partially, it was entirely a response to two different songs that have been on my playlist recently. These are songs that in no way, shape, or form would I ever remember recommend that you sing in the divine service where the Holy God comes to us in word and sacrament. I mean, it's a time for reverence, right? But but uh, when it comes to like, how am I going to get going when I want to get my day going? I mean, they've been, they've been just on my playlist. And uh, so one of them is um, uh, Don't Tread on Me by We the Kingdom. And the other one is uh, The Resistance by Skillet. I can't believe I'm listening to Skillet. I used to make fun of Skillet. I, I, I'm listening to Skillet. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, the line, the line, from Skillet, it's our resistance. They can't resist us. Is so potently gospel impact true that I do not want to leave today without you understanding the value of this idea. The emotional impact of the last 300 years or so of Christianity has been to bring about a society now that says they're resisting us. Christianity is the problem that is in power that needs to be brought to its knees and destroyed. And so they are going to resist us. And the insight of Skillet is that we were here first resisting them. You know, just because it worked and then it didn't work for a while because we stopped doesn't mean that it's not our resistance. That we are the seed of God on the fallen planet, not they. And that therefore, they're not allowed to even say they resist us without lying. The moment they say they resist us, they're lying. They're attacking us, and we are resisting them. And the weapons of our warfare, righteousness for right hand and the left, of course it's the word of God. Of course it's the Psalms. Of course it's, it's the Proverbs. Of course it's the gospel, the red letters, the words of Jesus Christ. Right? These are the weapons of our warfare that give us a confidence and insight that is able to at least in the gate with the neighbor speak as those who speak the oracles of God. And again, that's a gift given to all of you, not that you go make new oracles. Goodness gracious, no, please don't. No, just let, let's memorize the ones we got and like speak them again, right? That's how it's always really worked. You know, God gives new stuff sometimes, but Jesus kind of makes it clear. He's done with that. Jesus is the new. Huh? And, and so again, being ready to, to give that voice in the knowledge that it's, it, it's our resistance. They can't resist us. They can't resist us. Okay, speaking of they and idolatry, uh, my love, if you would take us over to our other shot. Everyone be, be thankful for Meredith, my friend, who has become now my, um, my new person for helping with, not this part, but I'm messing up as I go, uh, for helping with back and mad Christianity stuff. There we go. I barely got it on my mouth. Okay, okay, okay. So what I want to show you is this. I can't see it. I've been doing a lot of thinking about idolatry. Um, actually, I've been doing a lot of thinking about idolatry, blood, twisted things and and porneia because those are things that the council in jerusalem warned christianity in the greek world against and i i i just think there's something there that's super valuable so in any case idolatry by itself is a word that as i pointed out and and i'm learning from my own heart like we all would be really quick to say that idolatry is wrong that it's bad but if you kind of search your memory for the last 15 years of your life, how many times have you been like, oh, look at that idol over there? Right, let's, not, let's not worship that idol. Let's not join them in that worship of the idol. I mean, has, has that happened? Has that come out of your mouth? It has not come out of mine. 
And again, so this is where I'm like, well, that's a word the Bible's really concerned about. At the end of the first letter from John, in fact, the last thing he says is, little children, keep yourself some idols, period. End of story. So it, it just seems like something that we want to know well. And what I've come to think, and I'm, I'm totally willing to be challenged on this by someone of, say, Dr. Kuntz's caliber. If you're that person, go ahead and challenge me. But I, I think that um, epistemology... Epistemology, which brings us to philosophy and some deep words really quick, but that's okay. You can, you can handle it. Uh, epistemology is the way that the modern atheistic pragmatic skeptic who doesn't take the unseen into account talks about idolatry. They talk about the words on which you stand or, or you know, where your heart and mind are looking for their understanding, epistemology. But what they're really talking about is what you're worshiping. What do you worship? I think, therefore, I am. Okay, I, that's pretty quick. Yeah? Then, therefore, you worship yourself. Yeah? It's, it's that simple. And this is where one of my concerns with everything about our society right now, as it collapses, is watching Christians trying to save things that aren't actually ours, like the word epistemology. Like, to be sure, the impact of the Greek world, the rise of the classic studies, the Enlightenment age, there are gifts that come out of this that we want to hold on to. And I'm not saying you, you know, throw away the dictionary if it's got the word epistemology in it. What I'm saying instead is uh, that if you can, if you start replacing words that you know are non-biblical words with words that you know are biblical words that have the same meaning, I'm going to suggest to you you're going to have a more evidently biblical life. This doesn't mean better in the sense of you're going to be strong in every instance and feel great all the time. It's more so that in every instance where you do not feel strong or feel great, you will have the reliance upon the scriptures, the Psalms particularly, to pull you through those times with the assurance, again, that it's our resistance. And they can't resist us. Now, we're resisting them. That's your job right now. Resist. Yeah? Resist the devil that he flee from you. How do you do this? Again, with the word of God. And then the word of God uses this word idolatry, not the word epistemology, at least not with any great regularity. And to see then that when people are talking about how they think, you know, the standards of philosophy, what we've lost then is the recognition of the ongoing pantheon that is being worshipped around us. And I'm not good enough to parse that. I mean, Hinduism as a whole has too many gods to name them all. The idea is not to try to catalog all the gods. And yeah, I do. Hinduism is just one way of describing what the zeitgeist overall is pushing for. You know, all the gods are the same. All the gods are different. Do whatever you want. Each man does as he sees fit. Never really goes well. But idolatry then is what the Christian is able to look for and resist. And it's going to be well, what is it? Let's name it. Let's, let's talk about it here. So idolatry, idolatria in, in the Greek, you know, it's a form of false worship. It's a non-reality that fools have set up in the place of God. So this can be anything, right? It can be the clock. You know, it could be the printing press. It could even at times be the Bible if you never even open it and it's just the thing you use as a talisman. It is something that isn't real that you are looking to rather than looking to God. That's it. That's an ideal, I, an idol. Now, interestingly, the word idea and I, um, ideology is not completely removed from this. And in this way, I, idols are about the idea associated with a thing by someone. Maybe not you, right? It's, it's that person's household God. Well, then it's not really your God. And it's not really a God to you, but it is a God to them. And in that way, it is a God. It's an idol. Does that mean that it has power? No. But are there demons involved? Yes. How much do we know about this? Not much. What should we do? Pray? 
<laughs> right? And then repent of ours. Repent of ours. You want a little more about this and how maybe it's connected to the diabolic? Look up Deuteronomy 52.17 or 1 Corinthians 8.5. Um, and you can know that idolatry is the opposite of latreia. This is true worship. Look up that in Romans 9.4. It ends up all over the New Testament. But Romans 9.4, latreia, true worship, is the opposite of idolatry. Um, mm, 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 mm. Finally, in this way, idols are not figments of your imagination, but proximate bodily realities, man's nature, excuse me, yeah, man's nat- native posture of worship uh, imaging or God refracting. So like uh, the first commandment and second commandment, uh, depending on how you count them, you know, you shall have no other gods and uh, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Actually, the the Sabbath day one about resting in the word, uh, that also is about worship. So Christians are supposed to worship God. They are supposed to be the image of God redeemed. Supposed to. We are the image of God redeemed. Man is the image of God broken and fallen. In this way, man broken and man redeemed are God refractors when we worship the true God and God refractors when we worship the false gods. We just are refracting different gods. And how do we know this again? How do you know that where your faith is being put and how it's forming the words of your mind and heart and how it's changing the life around you and the impacts the others around you, whether it is actually from God or not, um, or whether or not you have an idol. I'm going to suggest to you, and what this suggests to you is that bodily proximity is a major, major indicator. What is your body doing? Again, we're so Gnostic. We think that my real person is just my inner side soul. We think that somehow I can just do things and my body doesn't matter. And this is evident if you look at the nutritional state of the United States of America in general, the, the sad state of, of most people's health and even well, what is, what is it called? The, um, uh, it's not the health span. Yeah, it's the health span. Lifespan is like how long you live. The health span is how long you're healthy while you live. The, the health span of Americans is absolutely sad and terrible. Right? The sad American diet is, is a very real problem. And just one example. This is one example of how we're not aware uh, that our bodies are sending us major, major signals about things that are wrong. Do you struggle with extreme social anxiety? That's not normal in history. Even in very brutal times, something else is happening. And then again, I would suggest there's too much input. You can't process it all. You can't let it all come back out. And so you basically feel overwhelmed by the power of the present darkness. And well, understandably so. But then, you know, how do you fight back against that? What's your body doing? What's going into your body? What's coming out of your body? I'm not talking about the toilet, right? I'm talking about the words and the pictures and all that kind of stuff. And so when you look at it and you find out that, you know, you're always doing this one thing and it's always not about Jesus and your body is doing it for three or four hours, whatever that thing might be, but you know, everyone's doing one a lot, right? Like, like that's a good indicator that maybe something's wrong. Like you're, you're, you're not wrong that, that you're worshiping. It's a good indicator that you're worshiping. You know, uh, and you can do this with anything. Uh, I remember uh, on my vicarage in Quincy, Illinois, the high school there, there was a, a pretty big basketball program. They said they were good. You know, they had been good. They had the history and legacy of good. That year, they weren't so good. Um, watched two games and, uh, and, and whatnot. They had this thing they did uh, before everybody came out running. And I was, man, my high school wasn't this cool in that regard, um, where they have their mascot and they have all the lighting and all this. The mascot was was a a devil um, and and he had a cape and everything. And then the most fascinating part of it, whatever, you know, the levels, whatever. um, uh, 
at one point, lights go out. There's a spotlight on the free throw line, and he's there kneeling. No sign of the cross. Just kneeling before the hoop. And it's like a five or ten second moment where he worships the hoop on behalf of the school. Now, does that make all basketball hoops idols? No, but are basketball hoops idols all over the place? Yes. There's certainly places of worship in your community that you could go to and participate in, actually, <laughs> and then talk to people about Jesus and how this isn't your God. You really could do that. Yeah. When you start recognizing how universal idolatry is, how this isn't a word about a long time ago with statues, it's a word about the physical things that you now find your fear, love, and trust in. Right? Uh, which gods are you refracting? Uh, we're going to take a little break here, and we'll be right back with your questions, Bible's answers, and of course, lots and lots of my nonsense here at the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. Stick around. Here we go. Here we go. Are we there? We're on. We're back. We're back. We're back. It's the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. He is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and he will not be long anyway. I wanted to say one more thing about idolatry, and I meant to do it with the camera on the crucifix. Uh, the Mad Christian Discord, you can find it by searching for us, the chill, on Discord. It's a wide-ranging community, a network, truly powerful little thing that we got going on there. You're welcome to join it because the more that come in, the better we get. There's a lot of great conversation that goes on there. Things that we publish in Mad Mondays, that's our newsletter that goes out. That's really you know, the best news magazine you ever saw and you don't know you have, uh, which will put everything in perspective from a Christian perspective this last week, including the crazy. You know, get that at refhis.com slash newsletter. Uh, more on the, the new website for that sometime in the next year coming. But, but in any case, what was I talking about, honey? Goodness. Oh, yeah, the crucifix. <laughs> so um, in Discord... Uh, wherein the sons of Solomon also haunt, there was a conversation about how the crucifix is something that shows you your idols. And the, the way that I can explain it, I saw that and I was like, that's right. I hadn't given it much thought. But I was, it, that's right. He's exactly right. And it's this. It, your embarrassment for the crucifix increases in proximity to the thing that is your idol. Okay. So like your inability to have a crucifix, if you're like, okay, I can, I can pick up a crucifix. And hold. Okay, now go walk around and you'll see your idols immediately. And you can't even move. It's like, yeah, <laughs> right? You're embarrassed of this? Why are you embarrassed of this for? I mean, and that's what it does is it shows you your embarrassment. Uh, one way or the other, it shows you your embarrassment. And even when you love it, it's, it's, it's because it shows you your embarrassment. And so the power of the crucifix as the redeemed image of man here it is. Uh, not as a God. This ain't a God, except it is to your, if you're not a Christian, this is, this is my God. This is what's great too, right? Like you got the iPad, I got this, right? But, but it's not my God, it's a piece of wood. My God is the actual guy who's ascended to the right hand of God and is going to return to living in the dead and all this, right? But this certainly is what he looked like more or less when he was, you know, killed by us, right? And that's the purchase price of my salvation and the sign 
the sign given in my holy baptism that I am in this body when it dies. I'm buried with him when it dies. And therefore, because he's risen, I'm going to rise too. Right? So again, well, dwell on that when you can't carry it around. Why, why can't I carry that around? One of the other interesting things, I mean, I upgraded from the, the easy, uh, easy, it was hard to put on initially and wear the crucifix on the chest, um, like everywhere. I wasn't quite ready for that. It was good for me, but I upgraded to the, 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 the standard carry. I kind of want to build the shoulder piece. <laughs> yeah. Templar. Um, as a test, uh, as a way to, again, try to push myself as a way to ask, you know, can I walk into places and not be embarrassed of Jesus? Like, really, can I do it? Oh, like I can put his name on a, on a sticker or something, right? But this is, this is a little more intense than that, don't you think? So, well, and that's exactly what I found. Now, what I was not ready for was for people to start asking me to talk about it in an open and eager way. It's happened two or three times now. And I, I'm so thrown off, I like give them like the best pitch I got and I run away. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> but but the, my point is like, whatever fear you have of this thing is going to be countered by... Um, that fear dissipating and you're going to be surprised by what God reveals to you, not because of the power of it, right? But by its ability to focus you on your fear, focus you on your embarrassment, focus you on your shame, which then, you know, this means you don't have. So when this is making you feel ashamed what's going on, something's weird there, right? Like that shouldn't make, this shouldn't make you feel ashamed. It should show you your shame and relieve the shame, right? His arms where mine should be to quote, uh, Mr. Crowder, not, not the, that Crowder, but that Crowder. Okay. So, we're not supposed to be talking about that yet, though. We're here for your questions, right? And Bible's answers and some nonsense. You remember this? My kids asked me to do that. Steve says this. Steve's actually related to me. It's kind of cool. What are your thoughts on traditional Lutheran table prayer and the easy bedtime prayer? It seems an easy way. Oh, I should tell you, honey. This is A. <laughs> we're, we're new at this part, but she's really, she's sharp. Let me tell you. That's why I was drinking coffee on camera. I, 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 the fact that I don't have to do this stresses me out so much less. There you go. Yeah. Steve, my second cousin, I think, says, uh, what are your thoughts on traditional Lutheran table prayers and the easy bedtime prayer? Uh, it was that like, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. And now I lay me down to sleep. I was taught those somewhere. Don't remember doing it after some point. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fuzzy. Um, it seems, he says, both an easy way to teach your children how to pray, but also lazy in the way that you don't have to actually teach anything in the process. Yeah. What are your thoughts on a better way to do it? I mean, it's like if you're teaching your children to say, now I lay me down to sleep and you're not teaching them to say our father who art in heaven, I think you're doing it wrong. If you're teaching them to say, now I lay me down to sleep and you're not teaching them to say, um, let my prayer rise before you. Uh, 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 let my, well, how's it go? Yeah, my prayer rise before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice, as if the Psalms are not being part of their mouth at night, then again, I think you're doing it wrong. Are these things wrong in and of themselves? No, but they're sort of like, honestly, they're pedantic. They're, they're insulting. Um, it's, it's sort of like kids are too dumb. And I, I get it. I get that like there is a place wherein the innocence of childhood is totally beautiful and should not be stolen from people. That, that's a very real thing. Um, that said, I don't think the answer is like, they can't memorize the Psalms by hearing them over and over again growing up. Like, where did that not become a really easy option, right? That is even lazy, because if you never talk about it, it is still technically lazy, you know? But just that, I mean, it's so much more. Instead, we've got these kind of nursery rhymes, which is like, you know, the, the weird, distorted, take-it-home Sunday school. I don't know, you know? People complain about... See, <laughs> 
people in my circles complain to the, 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 the day ends about contemporary Christian worship and his music being vacuous. And then we send them all off to Sunday school. <laughs> we send them all off to Sunday school. You know, where they sing songs about, about ludicrous things like Father Abraham and his many sons, you know. And, and, and it's not untrue, but it's, it, neither does it tell them. You know what? I, oh, man, this was a story. Who was that? Oh, I found, I got to tell you, Brent's Barbershop in Rockford, if you're here, use it. Absolutely. Okay, so I found a really neat uh, uh, barber who, who was um, telling me, you know, talking about life and stuff. And, and you know, without trying to talk out of school, I think that we were talking about memories and religion a little bit. You know, again, the, uh, the crucifix brings up conversations. And um, uh, she mentioned how she used to go to church with her grandfather a long, long, long time ago. And uh, she missed that. She missed the songs. Not the new stuff. I don't like the new stuff. The, the, the songs. That's what she said. And then, uh, but she doesn't go. She's not going to go. Uh, at least not now. You know, I'm praying for it. Uh, but then she said, then they would take us downstairs and the adults would stay upstairs and they would do the flannel graph. I'm like, oh yeah, you too, huh? Um, and then she said, and then there was a day when I realized that it wasn't a cartoon and they thought they were talking about real stuff. And I just was done then. Now that's such a fascinating thing. That means as long it was as it looked like all the other idols, it was okay, right? So we we'll go home, there's an idol on TV, you know, Care Bears or whatever. Come here, there's Jesus, he's an idol, whatever. But it's all just sort of story time, pick and choose, worship what you want. And the moment that it was, oh, this is real? Why didn't you tell me that? And that's my question. Why didn't they tell her that before? Why didn't they treat her like it was real from the beginning? Why you send the kids away? Why do you think the kids got to be taught dumb stuff? This is not to say that if you're praying, come Lord Jesus, stop because Red Fist says you're idolaters. That is not what I said. I don't use that prayer. I don't use, now I lay me down to sleep. My wife does wonderful things and sings liturgy to kids. Um, we use uh, uh, two different table prayers. Uh, we'll sometimes sing a hymn and, and then we'll say, the eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their meat in due season. You know, this is uh, a psalm that Luther recommends for, for table prayer. Um, now, before I go too far on this though, let me also point out, I don't think I'm the king of this answer. <laughs> I am still climbing this mountain. I am still trying to find a way to be the father in the home that I play on TV, right? I mean, I don't think I'm not that person at all, but neither am I that person entire. And so that task and that effort, um, take this answer within that picture. But I'm certainly with you on this idea that they're a bit simplistic if that's all you're going to give the kid to go fight the demons with. Because the demons are plentiful right now. Plentiful. And we don't even know they're there. And you're making them sit and watch the programming device. Or go to school where they sit and watch the programming device. When they're not being told, do it, be programmed, do it this way, repeat what we said, listen now, do this, go that way, run, be friends, be friends, come back. That life, and all they get is now lay me down to sleep? It's, 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 poor, it's poor provision for the army. You know, I'll just say it that way. Um, I will say this too, though more than any other particular thing you can do, like this, that, exp explicitly, like prayer Jabez, these verses. Like the real king here is Father, be the king who believes it. And even if you don't teach it rightly, just keep believing it and talk like you do. That is how the Spirit moves down a generation. You baptize the kid, they're, they're washed into the covenant. It's really obvious how covenant theology works. So even if you're like, you don't think baptism does anything and you won't baptize the kids, you just haven't read the Old Testament. You don't understand it. So, so you wash the kid into the covenant. And of course, I think it regenerates. You wash the kid into the covenant and then you, you feed the kid. You teach the kid what Jesus said, right? Go into all nations, baptizing and what? Teach them to observe, to believe, to guard, keep, cherish everything which I have 
entole, commanded, stated that she'll never pass. And I, Jesus, will be with you to the very end of the age. You know, it's, it's not about whether or not cotton candy can't ever be eaten. It's about whether or not cotton candy is just kind of what you think you should eat. And I mean, if you got a taste for cotton candy once in a while, I say, oh, it's okay. But if you think food should taste like cotton candy, again, you've been programmed and it didn't go well and you can repent and it doesn't have to be moralistic. It can just be changing direction because you know that foolishness is its own kind of sin. It's not the kind of sin that you have to wag your finger about. It's the kind of sin that like you step in it and you smell it. Huh? Ah, which of course is why you should be joining the sons of Solomon. If you are praying those Psalms, saying those Proverbs, that kind of thing, saying that with your son, try saying the sons of Solomon's prayers in your house and then bring your son along. I've been trying. It's hard. It's hard. I say them every day myself and like getting together with others to do it. It is a bit of a private devotional thing, but I'm, I'm constantly asking, okay, how can this bleed over into more of this in our house? How can the word of God be amplified and the words of the world diminished and so forth? All right. Thank you, Steve, for the question. And I, I hope, I hope it helps. Here we go. We're going to go to B. Just kind of go down the line in order. You rock. Oh, I just burped in the mic. I apologize, everybody. Mrs. M says this. Okay, so you're just going to grab from there. But I don't know if I'm on the right camera now. That was fun. This is good. This is great. It makes what what's nice is it makes me not feel as bad about it, and she doesn't really feel that bad. She's nervous, but she 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 handles this stuff better than I do. Yeah, she's she's stalwart, and so now I'm like I'm like all right, whatever. They can wait. <laughs> is that mean? Feels mean. I'll sip my coffee. Did you find it? Yeah. Oh, we're good. We're good. Okay. Mrs. M says this. Last week on the chill, you mentioned praying the Psalms in the comment section. I asked, what were the Psalms for women? This is probably going to seem like a stupid question, but how does one pray the Psalms? I read a Psalm every day, but I am not sure what it means to pray the Psalms. I want to grow. I read, not read. Um, I want to grow as a Christian and as a Lutheran. If you could help guide me in that direction, I would be grateful. Thank you for taking. Ooh, thank you for taking the time. Ooh, caught up looking for Bible. All right. So, um, let me just say, like publicly here, I should, I will, at some point, I, I hope, I pray, I memorize the Daughters of Wisdom Psalms. So whenever I share the Sons of Solomon Psalms, I can also share the Daughters of Wisdom Psalms. Not being a woman myself, I did not prioritize it, even though I'm part of the group that kind of has started it all. And so um, that's something that I'm, I'm glad someone did answer that in the sidebar last week. And so maybe someone can point that out again or go to, I think it's sonsofsolomon.net. My my good buddy Titus is going to be mad at me. I have not memorized that yet either. It's not .org. I know that. Um, I think sonsofsolomon.net, you'll find all the information there as well. If that's right, um, then I'll keep promoting that in the future. Uh, so, all right. To your question though, I mean, it's really, how does one pray the Psalms? If I say pray the Psalms, you're like, how do I do that? Um, well, here's the answer. You begin by not just reading them. So prayer in the public square is led by one voice, usually. And so your experience of prayer at church, at least as you think about it, may be like largely silence. You, know, you come in, you pray quietly, 
right? That kind of thing. Or, or you sit there while the pastor prays and you pray quietly. And then you'll hear there's a refrain maybe that's said sometimes. So in our churches, you'll say like, Lord, in your mercy. And some, you say, hear our prayer. That's actually praying right there. Like when you go, hear our prayer, that's the one moment in the public service where you get to like pray. And so honestly, you want to be like pouncing on that. Like your, your goal in that time type when you're doing these back and forth prayers is you're watching or listening to what's being said. You're like, okay, can I say yes? Can I say yes? Can I say yes? Yes. And then you kind of keep going, right? So that's like the public prayer, but it doesn't really prepare you to come home and then be the one who replaces the pastor in your life, unless there's someone else there to do that. So, right. So the father comes home, he replaces the pastor and everyone scatters. Now they're all on their own. Now they're all their own pastor in that regard. There's their own priest, that their own prayer that is human made to worship God. And so they have to then what father themselves, even the ladies, you know, I got my little child daughter. She's got to be her own guardian uh, when she's by herself playing with the rabbit, you know? And so then it all kind of fractally comes back into the father, father and the family's there and all comes back to church and the, the tribe is there. Right? So as that happens, what we want is the word, which Christ speaks, which then the pastor speaks, which then the father speaks to be what then everybody else speaks to themselves when they are assaulted by the powers of darkness in this evil, dying, decaying age, which eventually they're going to be because no one's going to stay five forever and live in a safe place their whole life. It just doesn't work that way. And so if you're not giving them again the armaments now, what are they going to do? How do you do it now? Okay, so it's going to be not just reading, but when you open your Bible to the prayer book that's in your Bible, the Bible has a prayer book. It's called the Psalms. It's there for you to pray it. And before you pray other Psalms, you ought, or pray other prayers, you, you ought to pray these. If you're not going to pray these, you ought not pray other prayers. One of the things you learn from the Psalms is that the prayer of an unbeliever makes God more angry. So you're actually not doing a lot of help for yourself if you are praying idolatrous prayers. And this is what, again, the Psalms, just, just starting with being in them as your prayers and owning, this is my prayer book, the Psalter. Like, so it's a Psalm, and we carry a Bible and a prayer book in the back, but you actually have one in the Psalms, right? The idea behind and in the back is to have something you can give to people uh, when you meet them and, and scribble on so you can give away, um, you know, some kind of uh, thing, unless you want a bigger prayer book for your study, right? And then you carry that and you study it. Those two options to allow you to, again, uh, go forth as the son of Solomon. But the prayer book in the Bible, the Psalter, uh, how do you pray it? Well, you, you open it, right? You find one that you think you're going to try. Psalm 23 is always a safe bet. I'm a big fan of eight verses a day of Psalm 119. I mean, it'll, it'll rock your world. Okay. Um, and by those eight verses, you can pray them over and over again throughout the day, or you can just do it once. I, I like doing it over and over again throughout the day. Again, it'll rock your world. Um, whenever you can get to it, just eight verses takes five, five minutes, six, 30 seconds. Um, it's amazing how much your heart doesn't want to do it. And it's amazing how good it is once you do. So then what do you do? You do it out loud. You just do it out loud. You, you read it out loud and you import to all of the eyes in the Psalter yourself. Unless it says it's God talking, you assume it's me. And then you say something like this. Here, this is today's first one for, from Psalm 119 for me. I'm in verse 113. This is in Psalmic. Uh, it's a list of the alphabet. It says this. It says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. So this morning and then later this morning, the two times I've opened this and gone through it, I just, I, I open up and I go, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. And I try with all my heart to believe that I am the I on the basis of this alone, that Jesus Christ has baptized me into his resurrected body and declared to me that I will rise from the dead on the last day as a Christian. 
And because he can pray this with full certainty, because it's his and he fulfilled it, and now he's given it to me, I can just read it and say it's about me. I sound like Joel Osteen. This is my Bible. I am what it says it am, and I can do what it says I can do. And then I don't close it, and I don't put it away, and I don't never use it. I open the prayers, and I believe I'm supposed to pray them, and I just do. And you know what happens over time? Is my, my knowledge that I'm in Jesus Christ has shown me that I can pray these prayers, not with perfection, not of my own works and glory, but as a member of the body of Christ, traveling through time and space, time light, in order to rise from the dead. So here, here, I mean, here's these eight verses. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You, that'd be Jesus, right? You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Like I open my day with this, right? Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I may live, and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up, and I shall be safe, and I shall continually observe your statutes. You reject those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I close it, I move on. I come back later, I do it again. Next day, I'll do the next date. I also got, again, the Sons of Solomon prayers. Those are peppered throughout the day. And then I have, from that structure, which is the whole Sons of Solomon idea is, is like, it's a gateway drug for psalm prayers. And honestly, it's, it's a pyramid scheme to get psalm praying happening throughout the world without having to start a church body to do it. Because <laughs> that ain't going to work. So, so it's a pyramid scheme for praying the psalms. Once you get in, you have that structure, whether it's ladies or men. And in binding us together as ladies and men right now, we do need that distinction, do we not? Do we not? So it, we come in there, we start praying, and you get that 119 going, and you're at kind of next level there, right? From there, what's going to happen, what is going to happen is you're going to find other psalms. And it's great when God does that. <laughs> it, he will show you. Someone else will say something about one. You're like, oh, I've never looked at that one before. Or you'll be like, well, what's next? What's this way? Right? And you'll start looking around, and you'll find stuff, and something will resonate, something won't. Right? And you'll come back to stuff again and again. So I go to Psalm 27 often. I go to Psalm 72 and 73 in conjunction. Long sit down for that one. Wow. What a thing to ponder. I spend time with the rivers of Babylon, right? I spend time singing Hallelujah, double-edged swords in their hand. Uh, I, it's amazing what you find in here that can, again, assure you of the confidence you have against your enemies as a member of the body of Jesus Christ. Does this mean you throw out the New Testament? No, if you're not reading the New Testament and the red words of Jesus with this, right, red-letter words, and believing that what he says is ultimate truth, and you're going to take this, you're going you're gonna to be a zealot like they were in the first century. You're going to do it wrong. Don't do that. You, know, you don't want to become a Jew religiously speaking. What you want to do is be a Christian who understands Davidic Christianity or Solomonic Christianity, right? And that's what, again, Psalms and Proverbs is just going to give you when you sit down and you say it out loud and you simply believe it is about you because Jesus says so. And you're like, it doesn't feel like it's about me. I, hating the double-minded, I don't even know if I can hate. Don't worry about it. I mean, really, you don't hate it when you have a double mind? I mean, you can say that, right? <laughs> you can apply all the sin and the enemy stuff to yourself first. But truly, along with yourself and your flesh being the enemy that is against you and the devil's power, there is the actual devil. So you can really pray against him. You should. Well, his, his angels, his demons, whatever, however it's working, we know that these are driven out by prayer. We know that even if you cast, can't cast them out, they are, they're driven out by prayer. That's what he says. You know, how can we drive this out? We didn't know how to, we, we had the power. No, you didn't. It's all it comes out by prayer. That's your words right there, right? And so again, what's the prayer? Something I make up. I hope God hears me. 
The Psalms are the prayers that are not only guaranteed to be heard, but they're guaranteed to turn you into the one God wants praying and the prayers God once said. Yeah. It's, 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 I would call it magic, except magic's evil, right? So it's not magic. It's Christianity. Oh my goodness. All right. Let's go to the next question. Let's go to the next question. I pray that helped. I pray that helped. Uh, can, can we get a, can we get a, what time is it? It's 10. Let's take that three minute break. We'll be right back after a three minute break. Y'all rock on. All right. He has risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now. He won't be long. Anyway, you found this mad Christian Saturday morning chill. We got a question here from Brooke. She says this. I am having a hard time understanding how we are to approach the scriptures, which really just means the sacred writings, correct? Yeah. So scripture is the Latin root word in English for script or writing just to, to write. And so the holy scriptures are different writings they're set apart so christians call them holy because they're not like any other writings there are other traditions that claim to have scripture that is a, a holy writing uh hinduism particularly but they didn't tend to believe very different things about it uh, to my knowledge aside from like small cults with prophets who like you know show up sometimes very few religions uh, islam actually uh is like this so um uh, most world religions uh, al- uh do not insist that their scriptures are without error uh, and so Hinduism particularly, and others like it, uh, allow for there to be your own path, right? Now, again, Islam is an exception to this. Uh, Judaism is a wide and varied thing, and then Christianity, unfortunately, has become a wide and varied thing. But if a real Christianity and real Christianity, uh, real Christians believe that the Bible does not lead them astray, <laughs> uh, that it is not wrong, uh, that Jesus knew what he was doing, that God's in charge and the scriptures are his new testament you know word testament is like last will and right anyone who removes words from this like problems come and fire is on your way you know all right so so yes the scriptures do indeed mean the sacred writings and so now you you say uh having a hard time understanding why we can be sure of the way in which we do so this is a good question how can what i said that our scriptures are different be true right that, that's that's really what the question is now before I even go in that direction, it reminds me of something, which is, and I want to emphasize this as often as possible for all of you out there in the mad Christian world, which is that um, we do not want to be in the business of having to defend the faith. We want to be in the business of offending people with the faith because offense is not always bad. Otherwise, sports are always bad, right? Because you get to play offense, <laughs> on purpose to win right so if you're always defending with what you think or in a state a posture of thinking defense well then you're never going to convince anybody you're too busy being defensive right and so the question here i just want to make sure that i don't you don't hear me answering it i want to i want to try to move away from defending the answer and i'm trying i've I've answered this question before with plenty of apologetics what i'm going to try to do though now is just go on offense with this right instead of saying like like well how can it's more like oh you don't know right and and that is again the emotional response the deeper zeal which the holy spirit's words in the bible tell us we're free to have and the only thing that really keeps us from having that is us not wanting it or not knowing we can have it or deciding not to have it and we do these things to ourselves with sin all the time um and we, we, we blind ourselves to the reality. Uh, we have sort of an amnesia where we forget and then need to be reminded. It is good that we are reminded of these things. Is it not? Yeah, I mean, I think Peter says that. So, so okay. So we're going we're gonna to move into now, why is the Bible true, though? So that's the question, right? 
but we're going to answer from the perspective of like your child's like, I believe the Bible's true. Can I, it is, right? Right. I believe that. Right. And like, yeah, yeah, you do. And here's why. Right. So that's, that's our approach to everything as opposed to, well, I know there's this, this guy says this and this guy says that, and this guy says this, and we're keeping track. You got to read this book about it. And then you can understand like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why, why are we on their plan? It's our resistance. It's our resistance. And you follow me on that? Yeah, it's, 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 that's potent. That's some potent spirit right there. I'm not kidding. So, all right. I recognize everything we believe, Brooke goes on, rests upon it, the Bible, and all other questions are secondary because it's our truth source. So what that's called in like the philosophical realm is the formal principle, the formal principle. So yeah, we don't have a statue that we all go and we, you know, we look at it and we don't have um, just a priest who serves as a divine oracle for us, who just kind of knows because he's more spiritual than the rest of us and spends a lot of time thinking about it. Uh, what we have instead is a history, a history, a testimony, a will. That's what we got. Yeah. Several wills over time, some letters thrown in, some history for sure, packing it all together. There is nothing on the planet like the Holy Bible of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that compares to it from a literature perspective alone. Okay, We're, Forget believing in it. From a liter, literature perspective alone, this thing is the gold standard on every level, including in up to textual criticism. That is, how do we even know it says what it used to say? It is the gold standard on every level. There is no worldly reason to not think the Bible is the most awesome thing ever written, and that's why you have a bunch of atheists that 75 years ago spent their whole life studying it anyway. They hated Jesus and they loved the Bible. They loved the history of the Bible because it's, it's got so much there. Okay, so with it being then this magnificent testament that says it's the New Testament that is the last will and final testament of a single man, what I assert is that that man meant what he said and that it ought to be taken with all the seriousness with which you would take that man. So if you say you love Jesus, and you don't love his words, you don't love Jesus. He's a liar. Yeah. So it's not about like, does it have errors? How do we prove it? Let's show that this part... Whoa, 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 whoa. Do you love Jesus? Are you saved by Jesus? Is that Jesus' word? Well, maybe... Kind of, then you're not. No, you don't love Jesus. You're a liar. You're a liar. Okay? Your heart's lying to you. And you know that. The doubts, the doubts in your heart are your heart lying to you. Don't be surprised and don't act like you're the only person on the planet. And we all got the same problem. It's called idolatry and we can repent of it. What doesn't help is whining about it. Oh, right? No, no, no. Like, like see it. Own it. The scriptures are not ours to debate. They never were. He left them. So it's either you're in proximity to their being true or you're not. It's not, here's why they're true, so you should believe it. I mean, they are true. They are the testimony of the one man who didn't stay dead and afterward flew away into the sky, claiming to be the Almighty God. And amazingly, wouldn't you know it, his religion has lasted against all odds throughout history on the basis of some weird ritual washing and a little bread and wine that everyone argues about. And yet here we are, I mean, the beasts of the sea and land have risen, the harlot screams and sings, and the prophet prophesies wherever, right? And here we are, 
with little tiny arcs of families all over the place, 7,000 who have not bowed the knee, tribes coming together in congregations wanting to stand, not so much in a survivalist mentality with regard to Americanism, but with the fact that we're going to be the people who are under the righteous king until he comes back, regardless of what they do to us. And that he has promised us every assurance that what he has left us is sufficient. So if you want to go on that fight without the holy tome of ancient lore and wisdom, if you want to be the mage who thinks you're just going to pull it out of your heart, as opposed to the wizard who knows you must study, open, and speak. I mean, it's that easy. And you don't have to defend whether this verse or that verse is right or wrong. Just It's all true. Why are you debating it? Does it seem to be wrong to you in some way? Know that God will show this in time to you to be right. And the fact that you're not doing that means you don't love the words of Jesus. Now, and again, you, questioner, Brooke, I mean, we all don't love the words of Jesus. I just confessed a little while ago. I opened the Psalter because I want to pray it, and then I don't. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this right now. i got better things to do. I mean, we all hate Jesus. And yet we don't because we're regenerate now, right? So learn that the carnal man's still there. The tendency to hate Jesus is still there, but you have the Holy Spirit in order to crush that and say you don't get to talk anymore. And that the power to do that, what do you know? It's the Bible. And so if you're not reading it and you don't believe it, you can't do it. Hey, go figure, scholasticism. You're a dead shell, right? At a certain point. Not you, Brooke. Right? But the, the, the Christianity that's brought us to this point, which has tried to have Christ without his words. And often, by the way, y'all out there in sacramentarian land, try to have Christ without his words about his body. Try to have Christ without his body. Try to be his body without his body. Try to be covered by the blood without his blood. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't cosmically work and you take the Lord's Supper sometimes and who knows what Jesus is doing behind all of this, but I'm telling you, the confidence. Don't miss the confidence. So sad. Okay, so so you're following me here? Okay, a little bit more though. Uh, how can we be so confident that we have in our Bible is truly God's complete truth? And what makes us different from those other false religions? Okay, there's, there's your key. So the question, what makes us different? is the answer to why do we believe the Bible? But they're not the same question. And what makes us different is bigger than why we believe the Bible. Or, or is, is, it's a wider area in which why we believe the Bible should be just kind of obvious. It's like, why would you not? Huh? And so this is a different question. What makes us different from other false religions? Ready for it? He is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now. He won't be long anyway. Water seals it, food feeds it. That's Christianity. He is risen. You show me the other religion with the God who's done anything like unto what Jesus has done in any way, shape, or form, and I'll admit that you have a game and that Jesus will crush it eventually and I just don't see how weak your game is. But the fact is, Dude's got a game and then some, right? He's going to stand by what he claimed. And the evidence of this across all worlds is that when we tore down the temple that God had built for himself in our midst, Emmanuel, we tore down the temple of heavenly glory in fleshly form. He did not stay dead. That's it. That's it. If you got that, no other religion got that. And now everything Christianity says, everything, I shouldn't say it that way, everything Jesus says, he walks out of the tomb. I am your Lord. I'm the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Death and Hades have been given to me, and I have the keys. Here are the keys. Get washed, eat and drink. 
Trust. Believe. Truly, you will suffer, but I return soon. See you later. No one even has anything like that. They're all debating like how, what love is, and like they're all in scholasticism still, even when they're not. Or they're just worshiping creation. All other worships worshiping creation in some way. It it takes the the made thing and it tries to make the made thing replace, you know, the 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 unseen reality. Well, Christ is the unseen reality who has come into the made things, taken it into himself as a whole because he's the head, and then purged it, cleaned it, purified it in himself again, in that death, resurrection, cross, payment, all that, sun to darkness, all this stuff. And now he goes to prepare a place for us. What does that mean? It means that we're immortal now so far as we're in him. Whatever's going to burn away is going to burn away. And whatever comes next is going to be so much more awesome. It's like a hundredfold return on your investment. Except it's not an investment. It's what you lose in this life. You're going to lose this life. You're going to find that one. How does that happen? You're going to have bad things happen now and you're going to read the Psalms and know Jesus is coming back. Boom. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. It's simple, tactical realities from Jesus delivered to you, delivered to you. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, 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 so what makes us different from false religions? Jesus. Yeah. But they have a God too. Nah, they don't have a man or they don't have a man. If they have a man. They got Buddha. Well, then they don't have a God. It's, it's pretty straight up. Trinity, the Trinity also could just be your answer to this question. Like, what makes us different? The Trinity. Like we believe God's incomprehensible. And he's yet revealed his incomprehensibility to us in something that you can do as math until it doesn't make sense because it's incomprehensible. And that you keep thinking it should make sense. And that's the thing about the revelation is that it does make sense, just not to you because you're a human. And then in Christ, it starts to make sense. You can even see how the human family is a reflection of what it's about. Ooh, that brings us to some other stuff from another question I'm not going to answer right now. It's coming up later. But, but you follow me here again, right? Um, we are on offense because he is on offense. Because he offended the world and we killed him. And then he offended the grave by walking back out of it. He didn't stay in the belly of the fish. Yeah. And so now to see the grave as something you fear, that's an offense. (laughs) That's an offense, right? Rather than do that, defend yourself against the lies and then go on offense with his offense, which again is the promise that his word shall not return to him void. That if you love him, you will keep his word. I mean, if you read the Bible and just look for the phrase word <laughs> and, and his word, right, you're going to find he's always saying, keep this, do this, believe this, right? It's, it's that easy. And yet you think it's hard because I do it. And I'm not good enough. You're not believing that you're, you're in him. Then It's not about you're going to do it because you're going to become. It's that you are because he said so. And he's going to keep reminding you of that. And over time, that's going to wear some edges off. Some, some real serious ones off your soul. And it's going to break your heart. It's going to pull it open. It's going to pour salve into it. It's going to make you see. Does it happen overnight? Not usually. No. Does it happen every night? Usually, right? Morning, it's always there again. And again, opening the prayers from the book that is filled with inerrant requests for, for God to do things in your life. 150 inerrant requests for God to change your life. Filled with it. You see where I'm at here? Is it, it, the question is, are you going to defend yourself against these nonsense attacks from a classic world that doesn't even believe anything's going on except for what we see? Or are you just going to want to jump back to the old world where it's like, it's obvious. Everyone knows there's, there's stuff going on where we don't see it. And Jesus rose from the dead of it all. And so why would you not listen to what he says? I mean, why, why would you quibble? Why would you even quibble? I, I, blows my mind. Yeah. So uh, Brooks says, I may be partially answering my own question. Yeah, yeah and you did. Um, but these words have been helpful in sorting out my confusions. Uh, God is not, oh, this following phrase here. God is not the God that we can reason to. He's the God that we cannot reason without um, yeah, um, I don't know the name reference there, but I would agree with that statement. 
in that attempting to worship a false god, which is attempting to reason without God, right? Epistemology is idolatry. Um, attempting to worship a false god will drive you insane. You already are, and you're just expressing your insanity into hell, eventually. Yeah? Uh, and that uh, the true God doesn't let you climb the mountain. He climbs the mountain for you and dies in your place, comes down the mountain to something different. Right? So you're not going to reason your way to why God loves you, sinner. It doesn't make any sense. Grace don't make any sense. Forgiveness don't make any sense. Two evil people. <laughs> but, but to the good God, it makes eternal sense. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. So so there you go, Brooke. I, I hope that helps. The Bible is your mercy book. It's your ancient tomb of mercy truth. It is prayers for both mercy and confidence in the resurrection of the Lord. Especially, I haven't done this yet, when you put the word Jesus Christ in for any time you see the word Lord in the Old Testament. Got to start doing that. It's just going to rock your world, what that does with the book. And we're going to move on here to question number D. You ready for me already? Maybe not. There is no need to apologize, my beloved. I'm here. I'm here. Mason says this. The idea of reclaiming things as Lutheran that we've abandoned because others have abused them is really groundbreaking. Thank you. You're probably right. It's depressing. <laughs> is what it is. But yeah. And and then when you start doing it, it is. Because you're like, whoa, those are Bible words. <laughs> I missed that. you know. And every day I wonder how it can be applied further. Yeah, carefully, I would say, because there is a lot of dross out there. right? There's a ton of dross. And so I'm not saying just go go do whatever and just assume everyone understands. No, that's what I'm saying either. But we have definitely overplayed our hand in, in apologetics as Lutherans. I mean, 500 years now. It, we really have overplayed our hand. And we can barely say stuff now that's in the Bible. And it's, it's sad. It's sad. So uh, he goes on. In my city, street preachers are rather common sight. Uh, taking your principle of reclamation with the correct theology, what do you make of preaching on the street? Should that be reserved for church, or is it an excellent and underutilized tool with tons of potential? What would it look like from the Lutheran perspective? Till Trumpet Sound Mason. Um, I think it's an under underutilized tool with tons of potential. I think that our training doesn't prepare us to engage that kind of world much. And I also think that the apologetic tact that most street preachers take also is is not that helpful um so uh, with all that said though i mean I'll, I'll i'll be straight up about this i have wanted to be a street preacher since i first saw ray comfort live on the streets of where was that honey you remember in la county somewhere by the beach uh, uh santa monica santa monica. Yeah, santa monica and you know I'd, I'd been listening to ray comfort as a lutheran school teacher who didn't know much and i'd be he was doing more law gospel than our local pastor was at the school so i, I thought it was great stuff i didn't even know about law gospel yet really um, and, uh, uh, but anyway, Ray Comfort, Baptist, Baptist, he's got a great video called 180 on abortion that you, if you watch movies, uh, you definitely owe yourself some time to see the link between abortion theory and, and Hitler's worldview. And then also see the grand ignorance at the school systems of American campuses that, that they visited to do some of the interviews, you know, from well, 15 years ago now. Um, da, 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 da. so anyway, Ray Comfort saw him live and it was, it was it was encouraging to see that Christians were brave. I and mean, that's what I remember being like, oh, well, at least they're trying. <laughs> you know, they're, they're doing something. Um, but it never really has been part of our tradition. I remember then, uh, back when we TV days, when I was in Philadelphia, I saw a picture of a guy who had a clerical on and he was sitting in a lawn chair and he had a sign beside the lawn chair. And it was clear he was out at like some sort of public event, maybe a, a market, open market or something. The sign said, I will talk to anybody about anything. And he was just sitting there. And I thought, oh, man, that's a good idea. <laughs> I'd love to do that sometime. 
getting it to happen is easier said than done. I still have a dream with my grand vision for, for Rockford Lutheranism, right? Uh, at least for the West side over here. Um, grand dream that, that my, my Friday nights would in the summer would always be street preaching, uh, that that would just be part of what we do. But you know, one man can only do so much. And so while you prop up this over here, you can't go do that over there. But the dream here is that we get enough of a, an organization going where maybe not even just me, others are down there. And we always have a presence down at this. We have a Friday night city market that goes on downtown and we always have someone down there preaching. And then we would find out what it would be like to do it as Lutherans. And I would want to try it pre- precisely to explore what, what does a Lutheran do? This? How does he do this? We'd be very different. We'd be so different. I would stop arguing with them about all the crap they want to argue about. I just start teaching the obvious things of the Bible. Just start Proverbs. Just go. Just start going. And people are going to be like, what on earth? Is it? Well, that made sense. Well, that was interesting. I mean, they're just going to think it's interesting. Or they're not, you know. But why would you go out there and argue with them? Why don't you just go out there and, like, let it be true, you know, and see who listens. And then talk to those who listen. Find out what they believe. They're going to be encouraged by people, right? So, so that's kind of the way I see it. I think it's a, a completely useful tool. But again, to do it well, you're going to really not want to just walk out there. Um, the ones I've seen that do it best, you want to have a sound system that's ready to go. It's portable, right? You want to be heard. Um, you probably, depending on where you, your localities are, want to check on your laws, find out what the free speech permissions are because, yeah, it's, it, we live in a communist world, period. Um, and so that, that's it. Um, you know, you want to do your, your research. I would not go alone. Um, I would want to have at least one or two other brothers with me probably because while I'm trying to worry about a crowd and look, I, you don't see other stuff that's going on and you just never know. And so, um, it is something I wouldn't, I wouldn't do lightly, but it is something that I think is worth doing. I've dreamed of doing it. I pray for the opportunity to do it sometime in the future here. And so, yeah, um, reclaiming things that we've abandoned. Um, there's a cool story that Dr. Matthew Harrison uh, once said at a conference about a guy named, um, oh, I'm going to lose his name, Weineken. Uh, 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 what's his first name? It's not Fried- Is it Friedrich Weineken? Yeah, it is. Friedrich Weineken, second president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Um, back in the times when it wasn't quite the same thing. It was quite a different thing. Then. His ministry and his workload, mostly before he went to St. Louis, was in churches in the Baltimore area. And uh, St. Martini Lutheran Church, uh, Martin, you know, for Martin Luther, I think, uh, is the church that he was at for many years. And this conference was just about him as a as a pioneering pastor in Baltimore City, you know, uh, in the turn of the century. And um, uh, the story that I just remember loving is that he was the only one of kind of the Lutheran group that knew each other, all the pastors who would do this. So this wasn't a Lutheran thing, okay? But it was something people did because there was a word about it. It's called buttonholing. He would buttonhole people. People would see Weineken in the street with others buttonholed. Now, now that word just means like kind of cornered. But what it meant then is he would have his finger through the button hole of their coat, the upper coat, right on the collar. And he would have it there and he'd be talking to them in the eyeball and they'd be trying to get away. (laughs) And he'd be talking to them about Jesus with all earnestness and seriousness. You don't understand. Like it's going to, it's going to burn. You got to believe this stuff. I mean, I'm not saying that's what I want to do. I'm saying I want that spirit. No, I want that spirit. That's what I'm saying. And, and in that regard, then recovering the things that are biblical that we aren't allowed to say anymore as Lutherans is really, really key. Like if you cannot say when someone says, I'm a born again Christian, say I am too. Then they've stolen it from you. They've stolen it from you. You ready for the next one, Ma? my love? Uh, eat. Are we there? 
Well, we're going to thank last night. We, we ran um, uh, some tests on this and one of you out there gave us a, I don't have a monitor right now. So one of us, as we, as a retrofit here a little bit, um, gave us an idea for a monitor. So thank you for that. I got the email um, and all this, and, and that'll make some of this get better in the future. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Hi, Pastor Fisk says, Lynn, are you, what are you mad? He is St. Matthew and deep thoughts agree on the answer to everything. Deep thought, meaning like 42, uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy's answer to everything. Once the book finally gets to the end, I've never read it, only saw the movie and that was disappointing but thanks for all the fish all the same please show us in matthew's book so i suggested last week that the number 42 and thus this kind of joke truth is actually in the bible <laughs> and it's, it's pretty spiffy so lynn asked me to talk about that more we're gonna do that and then catching up on saturday morning chill and love to hear you say the answer to everything is 42 i tell people this when they ask if they can ask me a question uh then you mentioned matthew and now i need more explanation yes so oh oh no i have lost my power We will make it work. We will make it work. There, 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 there. Oh, I see. Here. So, we have guests showing up, which is awesome. But I've lost my help. That's awesome. I need my wife back. All right. So thanks for waiting, all of you. I think, I think we've got a Bible passage up, which is Matthew chapter one, the genealogy, correct? Okay. So we're going to be working in that. Um, I'm going to have my Bible in front of me. And if you would follow along and scroll as necessary. So again, the question here, thanks for waiting around, um, is that I have suggested that the number 42 is a New Testament numerology and or a true idea that the Bible talks about. I don't know what it means that some story by some guy in American fiction comes up with this as as like his answer to everything. Um, I do think it's amazing that I live at 4242 Lakeside Drive that I bought the house when I turned 42 from a man who built it 42 years prior. That's interesting to me. I don't know what any of that means. I don't think we should read the signs. And yet I'm not going to ignore the fact that 42 is something that Matthew very much introduces as a number in his genealogy. So if you look at the genealogy in Matthew, it is not the same as the genealogy in Luke. Uh, it, uh, it is shorter because it skips generations for certain, I think. And then it also then dovetails and there's a bunch of differences at the end in terms of the family split, probably between Joseph and Mary and so forth. That's not so much what I want to focus in on right now. What I want to focus in on is that Luke's genealogy seems to be closer to the way a modern genealogy would work, wherein his primary concern is the actual facts, just the facts. You know, I'm Friday here, just the facts, man, right? Um, That's kind of where Luke's at. Matthew obviously is not doing that because he breaks it into three sections of 14 and then he skips places and generations. And a week and a half ago, before I made the comment, I had been doing some real digging on who he skips and why, and ain't that a fascinating story. And no one's really sure, but there's three of them on the other side of one guy who ought to have been one of the best kings ever and ended up being one of the worst kings ever because he had Zechariah murdered before the altar. You know, that guy gets stripped out of the genealogy and then other guys are in there. One guy's in there twice. And so what happens is you have, uh, if you look at verses two through, what is it, six, you have 14 names 
from Abraham to David. Okay, 14 names from Abraham to David. Then from the rest of verse six, um, you have 14 more names from David to, who is it? Jeconiah, who's carried away to Babylon. And then from 12 to 16, you have 14, or you have 13 names, right? Because you count, if you count Jeconiah twice, uh, who is the king who's taken away at the first exile and from whom eventually Zerubbabel descends, um, if you take away, uh, and Zerubbabel who descends is who Jesus comes from, um, as you can see in the later section, uh, blah, 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 that, that group only has the 13 and there's miss, they're missing a name unless, and there's, there's a lot of debate about this. Who is the 14th of the three, right? Who is it? And I, I think, I think the easy answer is Jesus, right? He's actually, if you count him, that makes it 14. Why does it have to be 14? Because verse 17 says this. It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now the commentary that I was looking at uh, went into all sorts of detail about why 14 is important, why 13 is there, um, how things are, you know, uh, how these names matter and names disappearing, how it's normal to remove names from genealogies for theological or philosophical reasons in the ancient world. This isn't deceptive. So there's all sorts of stuff like that. But what no one did was add up 14 times three or multiply. And that's what I did. And I thought, what do you know? It's 42. <laughs> there's 42 generations that are listed right there. Whoa, wait a minute. Three times 14 is a New Testament numerology that becomes 42. And what does it mean? I don't know. It's just right here at the start of the book. That's what I know. Like he tells us, he's like 14, 14, 14. That's a trinity of 14s. Like the way numerology looks in the Old Testament, when you find a trinity of a number, like that's a good thing, right? A trinity of 10, that's a thousand. That's good. Yeah. So uh, it's really good. In fact, it's, it's the fullness, it's the full completion of all things. So, so here you are with 42 right at the start of Matthew's gospel. What does that mean? It's got me. 40 years in the world. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and I live at 42 Square Gardens. What am I going to do? You know, 4242 Lakeside Drive. Feel free to come by and visit. We got, we got viewers over here. I don't, we can't really get them in the camera right now, probably. But, um, but, but I gave you the answer, right? Okay, so hey, if, you, if you are one of those guys who is like super awesome at studying this kind of thing, and you want to take that 42, and you want to run with that as far as you can, go Old Testament, go New Testament, see what you can find out of 14 first. You got to figure out what 14 means. Um, you know, we got, we got, 12 is the church number. Uh, where's, where are the other 14s in the New Testament? I don't, I don't even know. And doesn't, uh, I don't know. But 14 times 3 is 42 and it's right there. Then that was, that's what I shared last week, right? Is, uh, what, what good does it do you to know that 42 is the answer to the universe? Not much, right? In, unless, in fact, it just means that Jesus has risen from the dead and uh, that's what Matthew's really going to tell you at the end. Right. So question F. Am I close and ready? Sweet action. Jules says this. What is the difference between godparents and sponsors? Should we have one over the other? Okay, so, I mean, who are you talking to? These are words that maybe in some places in history were really narrowly defined, but I think most people today just use them interchangeably, so they're effectively synonyms with each other. Um, The idea behind the sponsor probably is more along the lines of an adult convert, whereas the godparents are more along the lines of an infant being baptized. It's always going to be about baptism. It's about being more than anything a witness to the baptism who will not only witness you are baptized, but what it means, he is risen, you are paid for, you are immortal now, he won't be long anyway, all that kind of thing. And so that's what you want. Whether or not you call them godparents or call them sponsors, whether or not there is sort of like a verbal agreement between each other that if the kid dies, it's like they're going to take care of the kid. And that's the old world, but it's not necessarily true in all places. Or if either one of these words specifically, to my knowledge, uh, they can just get used to mean the same thing. But what do you want? 
you want a witness to a baptism. That's what you want. You want more than just the pastor so that when the pastor dies, other people who will live at the same time that the kid kind of comes of age, particularly, right, can say, oh, yeah, for sure, it was there. <laughs> yeah, he totally baptized, in case they doubt, right? Um, and then also, uh, as an adult, as you're coming into the church, to not assume that just because you believe in Jesus, you know everything, everything's going to be fine, you're going to walk the way, but to have, say, a personal disciple teacher right um relationship with somebody a brother or sister who's older than you in the faith who is going to kind of check on you from time to time pray for you uh care about you because the church when it's a organization can be kind of a scary new place where you don't know anybody so yeah uh the idea of of bringing people into a discipleship relationship unto sponsoring a baptism and then continuing that relationship afterwards like into you know raising a kid in a family awesome stuff right what do you call it? it 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 doesn't matter you have to witness to each other and you have to care about each other, right? And that's what matters. That's what matters. And witnessing, of course, is what the word says. And then uh, caring is, is seen as where we really are and not expecting us to be more than that. Um, so, all right, that was a short one. I think, can we move on to the next one? Okay. Oh, Jules got us another one. Here. here we go, Jules. Coming back at you. Oh, this is, I haven't answered this in a long time. Why was Jesus baptized? Why was he baptized at the age when he was? Yeah, quite old, right? Well, largely because John the Baptist's baptism is not Jesus' baptism. And if you don't understand that, you're going to have a lot of trouble. So if you don't want to understand that, like you think, he's wrong, check out the book of Acts, uh, wherein the disciples who received John's baptism don't have the Holy Spirit. And I think I think that's pretty clear cut that, that they're different. Okay, And then they baptize him with Jesus' baptism and the Holy Spirit and, and so forth. So, so Jesus is not baptized by Jesus' baptism. And that's an important difference, right? Jesus is baptized by John's baptism. Why does John come baptizing? To reveal Jesus. To who? To him. To John. And then what did John do? He pointed him and said, there he is. That's the only reason I'm here. So I'm not him. That guy's him. That's it. That's the whole reason I'm here. And then Peter and James and John, they follow him. Right? And off we go. Right? There's a start. John came baptizing so that the Son of Man might be revealed among the Jews. Baptism, existing prior, prior to this among the Jews, was a right for Gentiles to be made kind of tolerably able to come near the temple and be in the court of the Gentiles. But only on, like, by virtue of their publicly being washed and cleaned of everything that they are. Like literally dying and rising, giving up their old self, and becoming part of the Hebrew, the Jewish community, unofficially. Maybe someday you get a marry in. If you marry a woman, your kid's a Jew. Right, eventually the rabbis will say that at least. So uh, baptism is that before John the Baptist. And then you got John the Baptist shows up, and this thing that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are doing to the Gentiles when they become members of the community according to their tradition is suddenly being done by this Jewish, looks like a prophet guy, out in the wilderness to Jews. Well, they're already clean. They're Jews. They don't have to be clean. Well, what's going on? Why? And so the Pharisees say, why, why are you doing this? Hey, dude, 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 what's going on? It's kind of weird. And he's like, a fire and brimstone repenter will fall on you. Right? Like, I mean, he just kind of yells at everybody. Um, and yet, all the people who know how bad the society is, know how bad their lives in the society is, they're coming out to him. And they'd be like, yeah, I'm not good enough. I know I'm a Jew. I ain't good enough for what they're saying I got to do. And he's doing that day after day after day after day. And again, Peter, James, and John, they're listening because they're like, yeah, amen. Unclean lips. Here we go. And then one day he's baptized and he looks up and it's his cousin who he knows sort of, but he also, it's you. 
And he doesn't even realize I'm supposed to baptize you. He just knows he's supposed to baptize until he sees him and he wants to baptize. And Jesus doesn't say, I'm here to baptize you, although he is, right? Except not John, because John's going to die first, last Old Testament prophet, um, before the New Testament of the resurrection. So, but he's here to baptize everybody else. Uh, but first, John is going to baptize him. And John goes, wait a minute, dude. That's backwards. You're here to baptize me. And Jesus is like, well, yes, you got it. Like, that's the big picture. But, but for the moment, for like all of this to work in the cosmology of what I'm doing, you actually have to help me repent for you. <laughs> like, I'm here. I'm perfect. I have no sin. I'm the son of God. I'm here to do all of this. And what does it mean? It means that man needs to repent. Jew, Gentile alike, everybody needs to repent, including me, Jesus. Do it. I'm repenting for you, and I'm doing it perfectly. You can't. I can. Do it. Water washed. Sky breaks open. Dove comes down, lands on him. John's like, I get it. I get it. I get it. There's the Lamb of God. There's the Lamb of God. And he preaching changes even at that point. There's the Lamb of God. Follow him, not me. It all, it all changes. And then off Jesus goes. Right? And it, it, the crowds do not all see this. Some say it thunders, I think it says, something like that. The crowds do not all see this. Jesus sees it. John sees it. Spirit descends, sits on him. John now has had Jesus revealed to him. Jesus has stood in the place of sinners that he does not deserve, but is chosen. Right? It is not his by right, but by right of being God and able, he chooses it. He elects to stand in the place of sinners. And in that way, the baptism that he receives of the water from John is merely a preparation for the baptism by fire, which he enters on the cross, the cup of woe, which he says, I cannot wait until it is dragged, until it is drunk, right? Until it is over, this baptism I must undergo, which again is the removing of the uncircumcised heart and flesh of man from the flesh, from the body itself, from the soul inside the body as his, which it wasn't there, but in our place he takes it all. And I've said it before, like a great cosmic sucking sponge, all the evils pulled into him, right? And he walks out again and the baptism is complete. The one which John pointed to is complete as he dies and he rises so why was he baptized when he was the age he was? Because that's when John was baptizing. And that's when his ministry was going to begin. That was, is when he is publicly revealed to Israel. My time is not yet. Now my time is. Okay. Uh, and then why was he baptized? Uh, for you. Everything Jesus did actively, he did for you in your place because you wouldn't have done it good enough. And that since he's your God and loves you so much, he's not so worried about you doing it good enough. He's more worried just about you. He loves you. He wants you. And so he stood in your place. He got washed for you because you couldn't do it. You couldn't be part of that community. And if you went in, you'd do it wrong. He goes in right. He takes it all. He dies. He rises. So that now his baptism is whatever he says it is, which is not John's baptism. It is a baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which the teaching of God ought to always accompany. And if it does not, I think you're doing it wrong. But with that being the case, the teaching of God in places like Romans 6 and Colossians 2 and 1 Peter 3 is that this baptism is one of regeneration. It is one of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon you. It is one that combines both the spiritual and the material world in a cosmic, transcendent, imminent moment in which forever you are alive. That moment and every morning and every day thereafter. So that your crucifix, again, if it is anything, is simply a visible reminder that you have been washed in the tide which flowed from the blood of Jesus. Yeah? Uh, 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 why was he baptized? Yeah, for, for you. How are we doing for time, my friend? Ten minutes till the end. We got three more questions. I th- four more. We can get. We can do. We'll get there. We'll get there. Here we go. H from Hillary. It says this. I've been spending more time in the Psalms and Proverbs. Good. Uh, starting your, with your daughters of wisdom readings, reading the Book of Concord Small Catechism uh, to be braver. 
not live as long in fear and worry or be overwhelmed. Good, because all of those things, when you believe they are true about you, will be the thoughts by which you can take captive the worry and say the worry is a lie. You're lying to me, worry. I feel you, but you're not true. And over time, that muscle does get stronger. It gets stronger. Does it make the evil go away? No, but you're not alone. You're not alone in the evil. The word of God is with you, right? On your lips, in your heart. So uh, my thoughts are often, there is nothing new under the sun, and I am Jesus' little lamb. Those are good thoughts. They're very, very real thoughts. Uh, My question, ponder, is, when is it time to escape? Looking back at World War II, I wonder why more Jews did not escape earlier. Didn't they stay because they trusted their fellow man or not think Satan and evil had far more up their sleeves? Are Christians allowed to escape? Do Christians stay in persecution to be a witness, or can they afford to leave? Is this Christian Canadians early notice? Again, things in Canada are progressed compared to, say, oh, well, Rockford. Uh, do I escape with my family to the hills or another country and never see church family or have communion again? Uh, well, I hope if you escape, you escape to somewhere there's communion. Like That should be like the primary goal of your escape is to get to where you know there'll be an altar. Um, but uh, is, is that fear of family or family preservation talking. Thank you for your thoughts. Okay, Hillary, if you have not listened to Brief History Power 2 White Guys, you got to go do it. They, we're, we're talking about this question all the time. Uh, and so what I'm going to give you is Dr. Kuntz's answer here, and that the biblical answer of Jesus is, yeah, you flee the hills. Uh, or or you know, Proverbs 27, a wise man sees trouble coming and hides himself. There is nothing morally wrong with leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, you're supposed to, and you're supposed to not look back. And if you're wise to see that pretty soon, they're going to be coming for your kids eh? if they're not already. Yeah. Why would you not huddle up somewhere else? So I think, I think it's, it, it's, it's obviously biblical. You're allowed to move. You're allowed to flee persecution. It is not faithless to do so. You don't have to try to die or try to suffer more. Um, you don't have to. And so there is something beautiful about willing sacrifice. And my favorite example of this is James the Just, brother of Jesus, first pastor, shepherd, overseer of the Jerusalem church as a whole, who after almost everybody else has left. Everybody. Apostles are gone. Christians are gone because if you're there, they kill you. Everyone's left. He's still there and they haven't killed him because they can't because he's so attentive to the Mosaic law that they call him James the Just. James the Just. He's the weird one who's also a Christian. Just don't talk to him, but we can't do anything about it. Well, they get tired of him being around, right? They get tired of being around. And he's going to stay there until Jerusalem gets destroyed because he knows Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Uh, Jesus said it was going to happen, right? But he's there believing firmly that before that happens, somebody will speak to him and he will tell them about Jesus and then they'll believe and they'll either get out or they'll die with him, but they'll be in paradise. And so for their sake, he stays. And before Jerusalem falls where he would have died if he had stayed that long, um, uh, or maybe he would have taken people out at that point, I don't know, uh, he's murdered, right? He's murdered. Uh, they, they cannot take it anymore. They try to trap him in his words. He's too good. He's too just. He's too wise. Rather than trapping him in his words, he begins to preach in a way that people are liking what he says. So they, they just kill him. You don't have to be James. It's okay to want to be James. You know, it's, it's sort of like, where are you? And, and ladies, ladies, like you're not supposed to be the warrior. I mean, you can, but you can shoot. You can work at a night and nothing against it. But like, if you're asking like, how do I make the decisions about these things? Right? Well, it's okay to want to be safe and nurture and care and cover and protect. And ladies, that's a good instinct. It's also okay to go out and attack and not wait and be aggressive and understand that it's do or die. Guys tend to be more actively ready for that. Not that you can't do the other, but it's that our natural first step tends to be, right? Wisdom works not in black or white, but in grayscale categories. But those grayscale categories have edges. They have, you know, they're polarities. So, 
know, embrace the fact that, I mean, Hillary, I think you're a lady, right? Uh, embrace the fact that you have a care for your family and that that's a primary concern and you believe that you need to possibly move somewhere to deal with that. Like, that's good. That's called parenting. That's called being a human as opposed to being a battery or a locust or a drunkard who just sits there and watches as it all comes tumbling down around you and you keep telling yourself it can't be that bad because why? What in the Bible says it can't be that bad? What in history says it can't be that bad? Nothing. It's a made-up gobbledygook cotton candy lie from Disneyland. It's good to know that. It's good to not believe that. It's good then to decide, open it, open eyes, stay or go. Doesn't matter. If I stay, I'm ready. I'm looking forward to the fire. If I go, I'm still looking forward to the fire, but I'm going to train another generation to be ready for it too. You know, what's your vocation? If you got the kids, you know what your answer is really in some ways. Then again, maybe not. Kids are amazing. and can maybe stand up in the midst of persecution and be the ones who give the great witness, but you got to be ready for it. Again, it's got to be more than now I lay me down to sleep. They're just not going to be different people with just that in their life. Um, uh, so uh, I want, I want, there were more questions you asked. I want to make sure I get all of them. Uh, with regard to the Jews that did not escape in World War II and why they did not escape, that would be an interesting question for Dr. Kuntz. If you go to Us the Chill, join it on the Mad Christian Discord. Go to Discord, search for Us the Chill, join in. Get to the Brief History of Power, write at Dr. Kuntz and ask that question. I bet you he's got like three books to recommend on it. And, and he'll give you a little answer too, you know, about you know what was going through the zeitgeist of the Jewish people under the Nazi regime that caused them when they had opportunity to leave, not to leave. Um, was it just kind of philanthropy and belief that it wouldn't get that bad? Um, was it some form of, they just couldn't, in fact? Uh, what were their idols? You know, all pagans have idols. So what were their idols that caused them to be blind to what was coming their way? And not just them, but the Germans, right? And German Christians, too. Bonhoeffer is a great example of a guy who just waited too long uh, and then decided to do something that he was actually against. And Well, however it worked out, I'm pretty sure he's a Christian, etc. But, like, how you don't have to not fight back those who hear Jesus speaking are going to fight back. We're not going to fight with our fists. We're not going to shoot our neighbors. We're going to fight back with resistance. We're going to fight back with our hearts and our mouths. And so, so, you know, how do you do that? How do you get as a group to do that? It's not easy when you're all watching the, the, the drunkard machine, the brainwashing box, right? We're all just sitting in that. It's not easy to start prepping. It's easy to just put it off. It's easy to think, I just need to unwind and rest. It's easy to think, I just need to deprogram and you go log in for more programming. <laughs> Funny how that works, right? Uh, so um, why would you escape somewhere where there's not a church? I mean, when Rockford's sitting right here, <laughs> you know, uh, there's lots of places right now that if you look for them, they are, they are well-placed enough that you can flee there and they're ready to start building better communities. I know there's one in Wyoming. I know there's one in Idaho. I know there's one right here. I'm pretty sure St. Paul Austin is not a bad spot either, although you're in the city there. You got a different fight. But but again, if you're looking to move, don't assume that you can't go somewhere where there's going to be an altar. Quite the other way around. Since you're moving, you better be going somewhere where there's an altar you know is going to be there for a while. Like Don't don't run from the frying pan into the fire. That, that, that ain't wise. That ain't wise. So fear or family preservation. Like Family preservation is a duty. Fear of man is not. Understanding man's evil and fear of God and then fighting against evil men in the right way. Well, th that again, uh, that's parenting. 
that's authority, that's Pendragon, that that's what it means to be someone who leads. And again, leading is fractal. So wherein the man leads the home, uh, as soon as everyone splinters, it, 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 whoever is the strongest and the largest and the most well-spoken becomes the one who leads. And so own that spot, right? Own that crown, own that crown. Jesus has made us all kings, all priests, all prophets. True words come out of our mouth as prayers to him with a certainty that our authority, according to his word, cannot fail us, even if it means we get burned by everybody else. Nonetheless, more likely, uh, the burning fire passes over. Some of us struggle, some of us suffer for sure all the way, and then from the other side of it, our community is there, and theirs is not, because they burn theirs down and we survived. Right? And so go somewhere where that body and blood is going to be at the center of the entire thing, and certainly where it's not obedience training, where you can think for yourself, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. Not each man doing as he sees fit, but each man doing as the Bible says. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Just, just touch. Just maybe like one try. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, um, longer question. Uh, oh, 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 continued. I only got the half end of that question. No, I didn't. Here it is. Cool. Long question. <laughs> I, one and two. Um, we're right. You're the best, my friend. I love you. Uh, I like saying that on the internet. It's nice. It's nice. It's good. It's the, okay. So, sorry, sorry, enough, enough, enough of that. Uh, Twitter paid it and all. Um, where do we start? Right here. Good morning, Pastor, says H. I have a friend who used to be a Roman Catholic, but now is on the affirmations and spirituality, not religion brand of Christianity. We have been very, had, had very open conversations about our beliefs, although they differ. And the one point that worries me the most is her daily affirmations. This is interesting. I, I kind of recommend daily affirmations. I consider praying the Psalms to be daily affirmations from God for you. And there's some science between, you know, affirmation writing. I'll I'll come to that here in a moment where, you know, it's not wrong to write the same thing down every day for three weeks or so to try to ingrain it in your, in your thought process. And what's been very shown is that doing that makes it more likely that you achieve it. And here's why it's not that there's some like magic power that your brain is smarter now and you get better at doing things. It's more that by putting the thought at the front of your thoughts, you become more aware of its possibilities because you're more aware of its possibilities, you see them when they show up and you grab them. Whereas if you're not writing it down on a regular basis, it's just a fleeting thought like the others that are the white nose is pushing away, right? No matter who you are. I've turned the white nose almost entirely off. I'm untethered. I got a flip phone and it's still coming at full board, right? So, so how do you know which thoughts you're going to want to see three weeks from now and continue growing with? Well, writing it down every day. Do you call it affirmations? It doesn't matter what you call it, right? So, so be careful that we don't throw out the baby with the bath, bath water. Remember that the is evil men make good things evil, but that doesn't mean that we want to get rid of the good thing. That's kind of the Lutheran error of the last hundred years is we get rid of all the good things because bad people use them. And now we're stuck in a corner. We can't talk again. So, okay, like with affirmations. Let's keep going though because you're right. There's definitely uh, voodoo and woo-woo at work in the affirmation uh, camp. Uh, you know, if you're going to find anything on YouTube that's going to talk about it, it's probably right away into it. Um, and uh, then within the the broader spectrum of what says it's Christianity, the visible apostate church of America, uh, you definitely have a primary preaching being the prosperity of your life, uh, your ability to make your life whatever you want it to be because you're a son of God and you can say it and speak it into existence and it's guaranteed to happen. That's some pretty nasty rank false prophecy right there. That's some ugly white magic right there. So, you know, when affirmations are referring to that, absolutely, you want to be as far away from it as possible. Again, don't throw out the word just because someone made a false religion out of the word, right? I mean, maybe it's a better word to find, like confession, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, so, okay, continuing on then, she's uh, about this specific set of affirmations. She has told me, 
about the kinds of affirmations she says over herself each morning before her meditation. I mean, uh, let me see here. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's one of mine, right? Let me get another one. Those who trust in Jesus Christ are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Uh, under the foothills of Zion, I lifted my eyes. From where does my help come? Uh, you know, I say them every morning. So, so again, before I read the Proverbs, I mean, is, is this what's wrong yet, right? But the, the thing is going to be what's the purpose of these affirmations? Are they the word of God? Are they the word of God confessed? Are they just trying to have your best life now, just trying to climb the fleshly, selfish pattern of I want me? That's where the problem is, right? It's idolatry. Problems on affirmations, the problem's idolatry. You remove the idolatry, the thing's not a problem. Where's the idolatry? That's where it's tough because it changes. You know, what did you set up in your house to worship? I don't know. I know what I did. I know I'm repentant of it, right? And so, but that's, that's the issue. Uh, and I explained to her then, you said, that uh, they can ultimately be dangerous for faith since this kind of belief cheapens grace and puts the burden on her. Right. So if you really believe your life's not going to get better until you write affirmations about it every day and make it happen, then you do not have a God other than you or the piece of paper or the flower that you think is somehow bringing crystal spirit power to your house or whatever, right? When, when you end up in that stuff. So um, so you're, you're right. You definitely don't want to make any of your practice any of your habit, something that cheapens grace. And if by affirmations, you are initiating a ladder climbing obedience school, justification, justification by works, religion for yourself, spirituality, not religion. I swear it. It's just me. Um, well, well then that's, that's really, really bad. And you don't want to do that at the same time, just because you say something to yourself every morning doesn't mean you're cheapening grace. And just because you're saying it's important for me to discipline myself to this regular practice that always works in this way because God created a world that repeats itself and echoes and doesn't change, right? Uh, that, that the physics of the world work, that I can remember who I am tomorrow and I'm the same person and I can learn again, I can I can uh, build again even on the same things, all of that. We don't want to throw that away just because someone's treating religion as exclusively self-help and you're afraid she's missing out on the bottom line. I mean, she probably is. Idolaters do. But again, so th- put it in your, in your, in your like, you know, thinking pot. And spin it around, blend that thing up a bit for a week or three. It's always idolatry. There's there's at least four different types of idols. We'll maybe get to that in the future. But it's it's always idolatry first. And then it's not about affirmations. It really isn't. Like you can actually see how good affirmations are. You can learn all that stuff I said about the secular value of them. You can even use them. And you can apply the word of God to it and make it even better. Catalyze it out of the wall and out of the ground. We can only do that once you realize the problem's idolatry, where's the idol? And then you just don't want the idol. But but then how do you see their idols when you haven't seen your own? Huh? Yeah? Log and I and all this. So you suggested, this is great, she'd try praying the Psalms instead of doing her affirmations and meditation. See, try this one. Check this out, right? So what did you do? Affirmations are bad. Pray the Psalms instead. How about affirmations are awesome. I use the Psalms with the best affirmations there are. Do you see the difference in trajectory? It's apologetics versus offense. That's it, right? So you, you took what she said and you're like, all right, I'm going to shove my truth into it because she's weaker than I am. And she's like, oh, I've never done that. Well, you should. <laughs> you don't have no idea the power of God until you start praying those Psalms every morning instead of those affirmations or along with them. And then trust the word to do the work. She starts doing that every day. You know what's going to happen? Her affirmations are going to change. <laughs> They're going to reflect what the word of God says. Now, if she never prays to Jesus, doesn't know Jesus, I mean, she may still end up, you know, paganizing herself with the wisdom of God, which is quite possible. You can, you can make an idol out of that. But again, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that the prayers of Jesus get you to Jesus eventually. Luther found the gospel. I don't, I We'd say Luther too much. Luther found the gospel reading the Psalms, not the New Testament. So, so like, like, don't be ashamed of it. You, you gave a great answer. Think about your positioning, though. Were you, were you the disciple who then was able to say, I got something great? Or were you the teacher trying to correct and therefore putting them in a defensive position too? 
right? You know what I'm saying? And so that's a little, uh, if you read my book, talk them into it. It's not as well known as the others. It's self-published. You can find it on Amazon. It's really quite good for these kinds of conversations. Half of the book is about how to talk about the resurrection, which is great. And the other half of the book is how to talk with people that you disagree with without them knowing that you're completely playing the game so that they're going to hang themselves and believe what you think at the end because you're going to speak common sense and they don't. And you know that going in. And it's really very plain once you lay it out. So talk them into it. It was 17 bucks or something on Amazon. Free copy if you sign up for Mad Money's newsletter. I think we still give it away for free. You get the digital copy. So um, I highly recommend that to you, H, for this kind of conversation because that disciple, teacher, or mentor relationship and the power of being the disciple, not the corrector, um, but the learner is is something I, I think you'll benefit from in these conversations. So you say you pray for her often, found her to be, uh, found her a great church in her area. I just want to be helpful and loving. If she needs self-help or affirming, of affirming something about herself, I wonder if there's any salutary place for that. If affirmations are scriptural, any advice would be appreciated. I mean, it's maybe going to take me a second to find this, but, uh, you know, I, I struggle in my life. Uh, I have a number of complex challenges that come my way. And um, one of them is that uh, I don't know what it means to be comforted. And, and without going into too much detail, let's just say that like it was Pavlovian. <laughs> and so because of the Pavlovian process of discomforting me, which largely was, I think, out of ignorance, although, you know, the devil knows what he's doing. Uh, I have never been able to, to really uh, hear someone say something like, you know, you need to love yourself. And I have my theological response to that, but I also have my like spiritual, I hate myself. How can I love myself response to that? Well, and check this out. Psalm 119.52 says this. 119 again. This is this psalm I think you should start praying eight of day, right? Psalm uh, 119.52. I remembered your judgments of old, O Jesus Christ, and have comforted myself. I have comforted myself. That's something I didn't think I could do. I couldn't do it. I can't do it. Except for when I pray it, I believe it's true. Because he says it. It's true. If that is an affirmation, I don't know what is. And I tell you, it's better than me saying, I will do this because I decided to. <laughs> right? I remember Jesus Christ and I comfort myself. Uh, the Psalter. The Psalter is so good. Just stay in it. And then take the position of offense, not defense. Rather than try to tell them what they're doing is wrong, try to shove Jesus into it with truth. And then trust his seed to do its work. It'll fall on bad soil. It'll fall on good soil. Throw it everywhere and stop trying to clear out the soil before you throw the, before you throw the seed. Yeah, you follow me? This is, this is a posturing thing, and particularly LCMS. This is an LCMS posturing thing. I think we're along lines with evangelicals. We've all been put in this position where we think that like they're resisting us or something. And, and it's, it's just completely the other way around, right? And so getting back onto that position where our resistance is an offense to them and we are going to do it, um, that's, that's where you want to be here. That's where you want to be. All right, so last question for the morning, number J, number J. Number J. My name starts with the number J. Yeah, for sure. Uh, lately, my young sister, says A, has been asking questions about being male and female. I have not been able to answer with plain language, and my answers have been very complicated. I think I might as well have answered her in Latin, and she would have understood just as much. And kindergarten cop kind of made it clear, if I recall. I, I am not really sure how I should ask this question, but how would you sur- summarize the Bible's teaching about God creating male and female and what that means? Do you have any advice about teaching the Bible to children? Completely different question, and a good one, too. 
Um, let me say on that uh, advice about teaching the Bible to children, I think what we're going to do is we're going to try to keep this question and come back. Hopefully I have a second mic in a week and you'll get to hear Meredith giggle and say like, here it comes. Here's the slide. She's giggling right now. It'll be nice. She's got a great audio voice. She used to work at a, at a restaurant where she would call the food and everyone would be like, who's talking? A goddess has called the food of the, what, what was it? Like the, the, um, what did you get me? The, yeah, the orders. What did you get me to eat? That was like a, a wrap of some kind. And it was like uh Mediterranean hummus. No, it wasn't hummus. It was fried. Hmm? Oh, the falafel. Oh, uh, your falafel is ready, Jonathan. And I'm like, ah, so anyway, um, she, I want her to answer this question with me, but advice on teaching the Bible to children. I can tell you what my wife does. I can tell you what I would like to do and try to do. I'd like to tell you what my wife, I'd like my wife to tell you what she does because I think, I think that'll answer that well. So we'll try to pull this back in for next week, but for this week then with the question about male and female and how to summarize male and female and how to teach it. I don't want to say everything I learned post 2020. I learned from Dr. Koontz because I've been doing a lot of work on my own, but I tell you, um, I, I recommend the show Brief History of Power because I'm on it, but not really <laughs> at this point, uh, because it, it, he has given me so many different ways of thinking about things and they're just so clear cut. And uh, it's like, it's like the whole world's using a butter knife made of butter. And then someone gives you an actual butter knife and you're like, oh yeah. So nature, what's obvious. I mean, when you go to the bathroom, do you have to sit? It's not necessarily how you want to do it to the, the two-year-old, right? Although, you kind of do it with the boy at a certain point, right? So, the distinction between man and woman is so obvious that it's insane we're arguing about it. Like, literally. Like, we are, we are, we are the blindest people that ever were to, to not believe that we exist as we exist, but to think instead we are above and beyond the created order and can just make it obey us. Very strange, right? Very arrogant, tends to get broken down and destroyed by God from time to time. Um, blah, blah, blah. I just sort of lost my train of thought because I want to look at the question again. I put it over here. There it is. Um, okay, so once you get into nature, then, uh, you will begin to observe, like, look at some cats or dogs or get two bunnies and be like, well, we can say that this bunny prefers to be a female, but watch. <laughs> oh, look, and there's more bunnies. Hmm, how'd that happen? It's pretty clear. The one bunny has one type of equipment and the other bunny has a different type of equipment. And old school, there's two words that are really good for this that I think um, are worth recapturing for a number of reasons. So what is the female bunny, the bunny who identifies as the mother? What does that bunny have that compels that bunny to identify as a mother by burying the children? That bunny has something that's called in almost every corner, a womb, a womb. Um, in fact, you might remember the gaslit noise from, from last year where like not all women need wombs was actually what they were <laughs> trying to say. Okay, whatever. It's the word woman. I mean, it's all connected to it. So, so, uh, so a woman has a womb. Now, when you get into what a guy has, it's it, like we all get nervous about it, right? Uh, but l- let me give you something that I just learned this past week and, and hopefully I'll say it well, uh, that really put this in, in light for me. I've been wrestling for years and years and years with the idea of the only begotten Son of God, particularly as confessed in the Creed, wherein we say begotten, not made. Now, I don't wrestle with it in believing it. I believe it's true. I just could never really quite get what the difference was, other than that begotten meant not made. Okay, so begotten means not made. But it, it actually doesn't mean not made. 
It, it really doesn't. To beget or to be got, to be begotten, um, does mean to come from something. And specifically, it means to come from not a womb. Now, once you're begotten, you're going to come from a womb too. But the beginning happens before the birth. So the day that we would say you are conceived, you have become begotten. And the beginning that took place was what your father did. He sired you. So to beget is to sire. And a woman cannot sire. A woman can only birth. A man sires in a woman. She is the fertile soil. Marriage is glorious and a picture of the eternal world to come. So if that bothered you, what I said, you're you're missing something. Uh, But then, so see how clear it becomes now, right? You have a womb and you have a sire. Call it a sire. Why not? I mean, the other words are all kind of weird, right? It's a great word. So only a man may sire. And then here is the thing, boys. Notice how they stole it from you. Notice how siring offspring isn't even something most of you consider doing or it's lastly the thing you're, you're thinking about planning your whole life to do. And my entire purpose on this earth is to sire sons and daughters. Why? For me? No. For the next generation. For the Christians who will be made and be part of their community. Because that's what humans are made to be and do. To live through time as generations. And especially now waiting for Christ to return. So to cease seeing the good of siring is what must precede ceasing to see the good of the womb. You see where we are on the spectrum are now, don't you? I mean, we're all the way off the thing just about. So you're asking how to do it. That's how you do it. You talk about the difference between begetting and birthing. One happens nine months before. One happens at the time we see everybody show up and they breathe. But the thing that happens before is done by the man. It's the man's action. And it and a woman, you know, is there. But the man is the one who puts it into the woman. Right? 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 I mean, am I going to get taken off YouTube for this? I don't know. With all the other stuff they're doing. But anyway, you get the point, right? Talk to the kid. Use nature. You don't have to be crass birds and the bees there's a reason it's called that there's a reason it's called that and it's also then very very obvious to everybody except those who are being programmed by gnostic brainwashing devices that they stare at for three to seven hours a day and so they don't have to think about their bodies and they get this disproportionate alt-world reality that they assume is possible because they haven't lived in the real world long enough and so everything that goes wrong they freak out about and so much things see me all the anxiety it's false expectations about reality not enough practice in real time with what reality is and so forth and so forth so all right so not enough time with what reality is if you're always watching things about women who don't act like women then you're not going to understand what your body is it's not you're going to think you're something you're not and then it's going to confuse you we see that happen to lots of kids right Lots of kids. Uh, so, so I mean, how are you being schooled? Where are your gods? What do you do? Um, I, I, what do you do as a mad Christian? You fall back upon the fact that it is for such a time as this that you were baptized, born, born again, live, breathe, are here today listening. None of this is reason for despair. None of this is reason to be afraid. You are Daniel. You are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You are standing in Babylon. And they're saying, worship here, worship there, worship here. They haven't yet made a big statue and forced us all to go to it yet. They may never do that. They just put it in your room, and then they act like you're weird if you won't look at it, right? So, again, you are going to stand. You're not here to know this and not stand. You're here to wake up from your sleep, to be roused as one who was dead, but knows that such were some of you and not any longer. No longer sleepwalking but awakened with the mind of Christ, which is both proverbially able to understand the design of creation as it comes to us as we study nature, and then proverbially way beyond that, because we've been given the full wisdom 
the complete counsel of the everlasting King and God, a single man who wrote it through history for you to read, completed it already, and has left it for you to be your what? Your, your, your lore of awesome, your reality of God, your truth book, your thing that cannot fail because Jesus is risen from the dead. And with that as your weapon, armor of righteousness, all of these things, today is good. Today is a day to be content with the battle. Today is to remember that the warfare only appears long, but that the walk is but a sojourn, brief and eclipsed by the greatness of what will soon dawn upon us, the light with which, well, right now, we are inhabited. The Holy Spirit, who has begotten you now, new man, right? Proceeding from Jesus Christ into you to beget the one who rises from the dead, to make you a son of God in truth, not the only begotten, right? But an adopted back, adopted back into what had been broken in the fall to walk with God for all eternity. And even again, right now, it's not when he comes. You're not trying to have a good time till he comes. The walk, the war, the battle, the joy of repentance is right now so that you don't have to wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. But lift up your head all the more as you see the day approaching. It's a Saturday morning chill. Hey, you can support me on Patreon. Sign up for Mad Christian Mondays at redfist.com slash newsletter. Send questions through redfist.com slash contact. And otherwise, generally, you all gotta rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?